Hey guys, Skeletoni here. And Taylor of Terror. And we're here to tell you about Amazon.com. I think most people know about Amazon. Well, sure. Millions of people shop on Amazon every day. Right. Most of you probably shop on Amazon already. So why not let your favorite podcast get in on the action? Yeah. Just go to Amazon.GravePlotPodcast.com and shop as you normally would. Plus, by going to Amazon.GravePlotPodcast.com, you can get 30 days of Amazon Prime free. That's right. Get free two-day shipping, plus access to Amazon Prime Instant Video, including thousands of movies and TV shows. So head on over to Amazon.GravePlotPodcast.com and get shopping. Amazon, and you're done. And we're done. Let's start the show. To another edition of the Grey Flot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, we have a sure to be lengthy episode. <laughs> Got some extra stuff planned. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of guest reviews. Yeah. So that's going to add some time. You know, fill fill things out a little bit. You don't have to listen to us as much. Right. That's always a bonus. Um, so how you doing? No, I'm doing well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's new? My haircut. You did get your haircut. Nice, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Other than that, nothing really. You got I got caught up on my shows today, on my stories. <laughs> uh, which, which ones? Uh, Walking Dead and, uh, Elevator. Were you, were you behind on Walking Dead? Uh, just one episode. Oh, okay. I actually, I don't know if I watched Sundays. The one it was very Daryl heavy. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I did. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Um. Yeah. See so, uh, what's new for me. Your glasses. They're not new. I've had them for like <laughs> a month. Um. I can't think of anything. I know I've done stuff, but. It's, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Nothing of note. <laughs> uh, yeah, just ramping up for the holiday season, I guess. Yeah. Uh, got my uh, my cousin and uh, my brother's girlfriend coming for Thanksgiving. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that should be fun. I'm going to my mom's. I kind of figured, yeah, that's, you do that pretty much every year, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. That should be fun. Yeah. Hey, taking the train. I know we're driving. Oh, that's right. You guys, you have a car now. Uh, cool. And the pup's coming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, we're interesting people. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should talk about something, but... We could just do horror business. We could. That's plenty of stuff to talk about. 
We don't have to just jump into horror business. We're not just horror. Oh, because this is so exciting. <laughs> Wait, there was something I said we wanted. I wanted to talk about. But you want to talk about how much paranormal activity the ghost mentioned tanked? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think we could just maybe expand that to found footage in general. I, I think I think it's jump the shark. Yeah, that's to say the least. Yeah, paranormal activity the ghost mentioned made. Uh, well, as of yesterday, they had made. Just under 18 million domestically compared to 105 million that part one made. Yeah. And part three. And comparatively, the first paranormal activity cost $15,000 to make. Ghost yeah. Dimension cost 1 million. 10 million. 10 million. Uh, and, you know, when you and I were talking about it, we we're talking, saying, I think that's where where Paramount and Blumhouse really screwed the pooch and made these movies unwatchable, really. Well, I mean, horror has always been, you know, in a sense, less is more. Mm -hmm. Because your imagination is the most terrifying part of all. Yeah. And, you know, Paranormal Activity looked like a home movie. That was what made it so creepy. And because it was little tiny things that happened and you were kind of like, oh, my God, did that really happen? Did I imagine that? And then now it's just trumped up CGI bullshit. People don't want to see adventure movies with monsters. Michael Bay. People don't <laughs> want that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think that's where they're really missing the point is that the first one was so creepy because, like you said, it was shot like a home video. Um, it was used, you know, shot using uh, very um, retail available cameras. Mm hmm. Um, it wasn't shot. It, it was shot by the actors themselves. Uh, there wasn't a crew behind it. Um, it wasn't shot on a red and then made to look like a home movie in post. Yeah. And another thing, you know, something that really, I, th I think hurt, um, uh, the second one was that the first one didn't rely so heavily on security cameras. That's such a, Phoned in, waited. It's a it. cop out, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, like uh, you think of like uh, Devil's Do. Um, Don't make me think of that movie. Again. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like the the that movie was almost entirely security cameras, and it, like how convenient is that? They just happen to have security cameras everywhere you need to look. I mean, give me a fucking break. Yeah. Um, I did think part three was good. Part three was. Yeah, kind of a return to uh, the original. And it was – the one thing that bothered me about it is that it was very clearly shot digital. And you don't – why would – it took place in the 80s. Right. Shoot it on VHS. Yeah. I'm sure you can find a VHS camera for like 20 bucks. Yeah. And by fuck, dig some old VHSs out of your video cabinet and film over whatever fucking Saturday afternoon movie you take. <laughs> whatever afternoon special. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, they shot it digitally. Um, and you know they tried to apply some like camera effects in in post to make it look a little more grainy, like a, like a VHS, but it just didn't have that same feel. Yeah. And it's like, why? What was the point? Yeah, Save money? I agree. Did you know that was directed by the Catfish guys, though? 
I did not. Yeah. Huh. Like um, the, the Neve. He's not a director. He directed the cat, the movie Catfish. No, that was his brother. Oh, maybe that's who. You're maybe, to. maybe that's who it was. Max is the guy on the show. Max, yeah, Max is the guy with the gray hair, and he's is it actually, Ariel. Air, yeah, Ariel, or Ariel, something. Um, and uh, yeah, Max is like the gray hair guy on the show, and he's actually a director. Yeah, but I don't think he's related to him. No, he's not related. Um, anyway, but. Yeah, this is the fifteen thousand versus ten million. It's like you you know that all went into special effects. Mm-hmm. Just, the first movie they used the fucking fishing line, and there's so little story in the first one. Yeah, and it was that's why it was effective because it wasn't laid out in front of you, and it was relatable. Sure, yeah. You know, if you're scared of ghosts, that's the kind of stuff that's going to freak you out. Mm-hmm. Not seeing a giant hole in your wall that literally leads to a ghost dimension. Mm-hmm. That's fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, I mean, it, that was like uh, the marked ones. and The Mexorcist. Uh, the Mexorcist, yeah. <laughs> but, like, they're, like, start involving like, time travel and shit. It's like, fuck yeah. off. Okay, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to do? They're overcomplicating things. And then it turns out the whole ghost dimension is just Hurley's dream. Lost reference. I don't watch Lost. No, nobody watches Lost. It's over. I didn't watch Lost. Shit. At any point. No, I don't want to. Yeah, they say this is the last one. I'm hoping so. I don't believe it. I don't know. As bad as it's doing, I mean, obviously, it still made money because ten million is still relatively cheap to make a movie. But sure. But then they've only got seven million to pay off any remaining debts. No, except they also made fifty-six million worldwide. Yeah, and that's another sad thing about just films in general. It's like they're starting to rely more on international uh, returns than domestic. Yeah. It's like I mean that's fine. I mean yeah, that's more money, but. Like you make an American movie, maybe you should make something that's for that's going to appeal to American audiences. Right. You'd think. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, just like I said, overcomplicating things, and just have to remember K I S S. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. Uh, Knights in Satan's service. What? <laughs> you don't remember that's when people thought that's what Kiss stood for. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Those were the stupid. Detroit Rock City. Good movie. Good movie. Oh, keep it simple, stupid. That, I know it doesn't make any sense to you, but it reminds me of um, 11-22-63. They released a um, teaser trailer for it. Mm-hmm. Did you show that to mm-hmm. me? Yeah, okay. Uh, not much to it, but... I'm I'm intrigued. I, I'm still working on the book, and I fucking love it. It's so good. <laughs> uh, Stephen King actually said that was like, like it was an endurance trial. All the research that went into that. Oh, book. I bet. Because uh, I mean, I I would like to like. I'm very interested in the JFK assassination, so mm-hmm. I I would probably be interested in reading it. You know, actually, 
very little of it actually deals directly with the assassination. Oh yeah, most of it because he when he goes back in what he calls the rabbit hole, uh, it takes him back to 1958, September eighth or something like that, 1958, um, and obviously there's no jumping forward in time. So he has to live out his life those five years between 1958 and 1963. So most of the book is are those years. Oh, I see. Yeah. A lot of interesting things happen. Um, but, I mean, as far as like even Lee Harvey or Harvey Oswald doesn't become involved till like probably halfway through the book. Hmm. Um, but it's it's really good. I mean, like I'm really enjoying it. I, I'd probably put it in my top five. Stephen King books. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Did you ever see the episode of Quantum Leap with the JFK assassination? Mm, not that I can recall. Man, that episode was hard to follow. Oh, yeah? Because he leapt like 12 times in one episode, which never happens. Had it into different people in yeah. the same, same time? Well, same time frame, yeah. Mm. That's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I think at one point he even leaps into Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, really? And, like, he leaps out before he can actually change anything. Mm. And then you find out the whole thing was he was supposed to be there to save Jackie O. But she was never in danger. Because of Sam Beckett. Oh, I get it. In the original timeline, she dies. But (laughs) Sam Beckett changed things. (laughs) Uh, 11-22-63 is not, by its nature, a horror um, book. Uh, It's more science fiction, I guess. Yeah. but there's a lot of – like Stephen King does what he usually does. He incorporates his other books into it. Um, the character, Jake, who his alias in the past is George, he actually goes to Dairy Maine and he meets Richie and Beverly. Beep, beep, Richie. Yeah. Speaking of which, I was driving to your place and I saw a guy that looked like a fabulous Seth Green dressed as Richie. <laughs> like he, you know, Capitol Hill. Sure. Gay guy. <laughs> but, I knew what you meant. <laughs> I'm just trying not to say it in an offensive way. <laughs> but, you know, tight clothing and a scarf. But like a shawl scarf. You know, I might have seen that guy recently. Bright red hair, white glasses. He wasn't wearing glasses when I saw him. Oh. I don't I, if it's the same guy. But I, I remember seeing a guy recently, and I was like, that guy looks like a taller, skinnier Seth Green. I wouldn't say he was taller. Maybe skinnier. Oh, really? But yeah. May not have been the same guy then. Anyway. Uh, if you resemble Seth Green and live in Capitol Hill, please email <laughs> us. But uh, yeah, he goes to Derry, and uh, it's it's 1958, so it's right around, right after the, the events of the 50s happened in, in, in it. Um. And so the whole town is really like weary and apprehensive about strangers being in town because all these murders just happened. Right. Um, and a recurring thing in the book is a Plymouth Fury, red over or white over red. Christine. Right. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, like I can't recommend it enough. It, I think everybody should read it. Even if, even if it's not horror, um, Stephen King uh, really outdid himself with this one, I think. Anyway, okay, so 15 minutes now, and 
<laughs> I think we can get it. Did we have a deadline that I didn't know about? Well, no, I just, we've been talking for 15 minutes. Oh, okay. I think we can start horror business. Now. All right, let's do it. Okay, so almost exactly a year ago, um, you might remember us talking about a Satanist in North Carolina that uh, killed, burned, and ate the bodies of two men. Uh, his name was uh, Pazuzu Algarad. Um, yeah, he had actually confessed what he'd done to several people, but they really didn't pay any much pay much attention to it. Didn't really believe him. Uh, I don't know if this is ringing any bells with anyone. It is with me. Sure. For, for what it's worth. You, you were there. <laughs> well, not there. Not there. Not in North Carolina. <laughs> um, but uh, some good old fashioned North Carolina barbecue. Too soon. <laughs> no. Um, so he was in jail in North Carolina uh, and he was found dead in his prison cell. Cell. Um, he had slit his wrists and bled out. So, with what? Uh, I don't know. They usually do a pretty good job of not giving you sharp things in prison. Well, it's it's easy to make a sharp thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, man, I imagine with with maybe he shivved himself with a shank, shanked himself with a shiv in the big house. <laughs> All right, Shawshank. When he went up the river <laughs> to the clink. Um, yeah. I mean, I imagine with any degree of commitment, you could cut your wrist with anything. <laughs> Maybe it took him a year to whittle a slicing device. Maybe. Um, anyway, so he's dead now. world's a better place. <laughs> so that's the end of that. <laughs> so he died. Pazuzu! <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess the, the mother of one of the victims said that she was sad that he wouldn't be able to, you know, face what he's done, but she's glad he's dead. Yeah. That's, yeah. Anyway. So that's that. So, if you're a fan of horror comics, such as Preacher, iZombie, or The Sandman, you'll be happy to know that the label that produced those three, Vertigo Comics, is putting out a new comic called The Dark and Bloody. It's written by Sean Aldridge and with art by uh, Scott Godlewski, fucking Tracer. And, <laughs> I don't know those guys. I don't either. They're, oh, they're the guys that did uh, uh, Dark and Bloody. Oh, yeah. got it. Uh, it is about guns, moonshine, and monsters. There's a lot going on in the backwoods of Kentucky. Iris Gentry is a war vet who returned from Iraq to find options for feeding his family limited. Since they live in a dry county, Iris has turned to running moonshines for his former ranking officer, meaning the men now share crimes at home and abroad. You see, back in their combat days, Iris's regiment got involved in something they shouldn't have, and now a deadly, otherworldly consequence has come looking for vengeance. I don't know what that means, but it sounds sinister. 
They kept that nice and vague. Yeah. Like it barely sounds like it has anything to do with horror. Yeah. Until like the very last sentence. There was a point where I'd be excited about new horror comics, but I think it's the the, the media is getting too inundated by them. Yeah. Everyone's trying to be the next Walking Dead. Pretty much, yeah. It's just like, do we need all these? I mean, are they really telling that different of a story from all the others? Well, I mean, you know, Preacher, I, Zombie are both TV shows now. Sandman, I think, is becoming a TV show or a movie or something. Movie. So, I mean, they're all being adapted, so they must have some degree of success. But, I mean, it's like, are they just developing these now solely for the option to make it into a TV show or a movie? Maybe. It's stupid. I mean, it's selling out in a way. I suppose. I don't know. I think if you've got a passion for a certain type of art, that you should stick to it. And if you want to move into other media forms, then it should, you should just let it come to you, not seek it out, you know? No. Get money. That's what I say. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Maybe it's just me. It is just you. So, Dark and Bloody is arriving February 10th, 2016 from Vertigo Comics. Other comic news. We talked before. I don't even know how long ago. We've talked about it a couple times, I guess. George, I think so. George Romero's Empire of the Dead, um, which is a comic that he developed. Um, it's it's about zombies. Oh, it's, it's about surprise. <laughs> Who saw that coming? <laughs> uh, it's set in New York uh, after zo- the zombie plague. I assume it's the same one from his movies, probably. Uh, only thing is that it involves vampires. Um, why? I, I think there's like a class system involved or something. I, cause Max Brooks put out a comic that's basically the same thing. So I always, before this one, I can't remember which one is which. See, this is what I'm talking about. It's like they keep cranking out these comics and it's, there's the same thing over and over. Fucking zombies and vampires do something original. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we t- I think we talked about it uh, being optioned for a TV show, and it's been picked up by, surprise, surprise, AMC. Hey, more zombies on AMC. Just what we need. Um, so that means that they've got Walking Dead, Preacher coming up soon, and now Empire of the Dead. Uh, the author... Arthur, or sorry, artist, Arthur Suidem? Sidem, probably. I don't know, something. Told Wet Hot American Summer 11 (laughs) in Louisville. I don't think that's what that is. No, those are call letters. W-H-A-S. Yeah, that that had been picked up by AMC, so. uh, Here's the kiss of death. Romero's going to co-write an EP. Oh, boy. Uh. You know, we've talked before many, many times about how he's he's lost his touch. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. Uh, you've heard us make the reference to um, the grandpa that can't drive anymore. 
doesn't know where he left his keys. He needs to have his things taken from him. Yeah. So he can accuse the minority nurse that takes care of him at the home. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what old people do when they lose their minds. Or if they're just like from the South and they're racist. I'm old. I don't know where I am. <laughs> Jerry, hello. Swarm, swarm. Anyway, so if that interests you at all. Stop it. Yeah, you have something wrong with you. You're part of the problem. <laughs> So, staying on the topic of zombies on AMC, uh, The Walking Dead has cast Negan. If you're familiar with the comics, then you know that Negan is the leader of a group called the the Saviors, who are just, they're just bad. They're motherfuckers. And uh, on this most recent episode, they actually kind of started laying the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, Negan, he they, – they basically create kind of a, almost like a mirror to – well, not a, not a mirror, but a similar situation to Alexandria where it was they, they a group of strong people, you know, kind of sheltered the, the weak and, um, you know, created sort of a, a safe haven for them. And then started turning into nutcases. Yeah. Power Did you see it. the official Walking Dead Twitter spoiled the show again? No. But only to people who are familiar with the comic. Because um, the guy on the most recent episode, they never actually say his name. The blonde guy? Yeah. Mm. But then they tweeted out something about, uh, shit, what was his name? Dean, I think? Who in, in the comic is a guy that comes to Alexandria and just wrecks shit. Mm. And he's his, his trademark thing in the comics is that he has a crossbow. Oh. Guess what happened at the end of the episode? He took Daryl's crossbow. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, so that Twitter account fucked up again. You know, I feel like they're just toying with us, but they're really making it seem like they're going to kill Daryl. A lot of people seem to think, oh, this, I can't, I can't say that. It's going to, it's a spoiler. Um, yeah, they, they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just little bits and pieces. Uh, I'm going to say it. So this is, if, if you haven't read the comic, then just kind of tune out for the next 30 seconds or so. People seem to think that they're going to do to Daryl what happens to Glenn in the comic. Right. I guess that's not too much of a spoiler. But. Yeah, I've, I've heard that or read that uh, theory. Um, it's possible, I guess. Um, but I mean, we still don't really know what happened to Glenn. No. Not for sure. And we, I mean... I don't. With all the outrage over the whole Glenn storyline, I think that if they do kill off, kill off Daryl, people will legitimately riot. 
Yeah, but you know, like I was saying to you before, people have no logic. Yeah, people are dumb. It's he. Well, yeah. First, he's a, a, a fictional <laughs> character. Um, he's not in the comics, and that, that's what kind of makes him a little bit of a wild card. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You? Um. Of course, by now Rick has lost his hand, mm-hmm. and, and Carl's dead. And Carl, yeah. Wait, Carl's, sorry, spoilers. Carl's not dead. You sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Carl. Maybe I just always want Carl to be dead. I think everybody does. Yeah. Of course, he's become a lot less annoying. He's I gotten it, a lot less screen time. That's true. And I wonder if that was a conscious decision. It's like we need to not. We need to make people not hate him so much. So let's have less of him. That could be. <laughs> um, but same kind of frame of mind is like to me it seems like they are showing less and less of Daryl and that could be because maybe Norman Reedus is trying to do other things than The Walking Dead and so maybe he just didn't have time for it I don't know that's the case but it seems like he's like Daryl himself is getting less and less screen time so it makes me wonder if they are trying to pull him out of the front of people's minds so that they're not as upset when they kill him off. Possible. It might not work because that they, I think they need an entire season to lay that groundwork. Well, I mean, women are always going to be like, oh my God, Norman Reedus. <laughs> Is that your imaginary vagina? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I never understood that, especially in The Walking Dead. Yeah, he looks so gross. Yeah, he... He's all oily and dirty and sweaty. And Apparently women like rednecks. I don't know. I feel yeah. like he would look like that even if it wasn't the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> this is possible. Because he was dirty like when he first was introduced. In Boondock Saints? Yeah. Yeah. Even then he looked fucking greasy. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, back to the story. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the person that they have cast. As Negan. Right. Um, other names that were thrown about, mostly just fan speculation, but we heard John Hamm, Kevin Durand, uh, Garrett Dillahunt, who I'm not familiar with. He is from uh, Raising Hope. Hmm. And what else? I, I really like John Hamm. I think Kevin Durand would have been perfect. He would have been good. He would have been good, I think. Um, well, you know who would have been fucking perfect? Henry Rollins. Oh, yeah. Because the character is based on Henry Rollins. Right. Um, I don't know. I, he may be based on Henry Rollins, but I don't think Henry Rollins, like, his stature is as intimidating as Negan. Yeah. Negan seems like he's taller and, and bigger. Yeah, true. Um, well, something that's been um, talked about is, like, how they're going to do the character because it's on you know, basic cable. Yeah. Negan uses the F word like it's going out of style. Right. It's pretty much every other word is fuck or cunt. Yeah. He uses it for a noun, adjective, and <laughs> verb. Um, An adverb. Sure. Fuckly. Fuckly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It, it, I mean, unless they're going to basically do what... Comedy Central does, and I guess a lot of just believe it. Well, I guess they, they do say shit 
on there. After ten, you can say shit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll bleep it, but I mean, in the case of like Negan, maybe he'll just be like Fudgely. Fudgely. Say, hey, you fudge and fudge heads. Um, I don't know. Like I don't, nobody's gonna want to listen to an episode of bleeps or fudges or fudges. <laughs> Walking around all day in your fudgies. He's <laughs> making this up. <laughs> If he's all like, hey, you fudging runts, people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? Fuck off, man. What the fudge is this? Who the kiss are you? <laughs> Rick's just going to be like, bam. <laughs> I saw this picture earlier today. It was uh, Rick, you know, kind of in his standard shooting stance. Like his guns up here pointed down at whatever he's aiming at. Uh, <laughs> it had a red line across the top of his gun. It said like, the aiming direction and then had from his eye to the target, like in a black line, it says line of sight. <laughs> it's like two like intersecting lines that don't point anywhere near <laughs> the same direction. And he says, there's a uh, kind of a, like a meme. It says, how does he shoot anything? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Coral. <laughs> Fucking Coral. I think some of my favorite memes are Rick's bad Rick, dad. Rick's dad jokes, yeah. Those are the best. They're pretty funny. Every time I see it, it's like the three-frame one uh-huh. where he like gets closer yeah. and closer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's always like, Dad, Mom just died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's one where he says, uh, Dad, I'm hungry. And... Uh, it goes to is there at the prison? All the zombies like lined up against the fence, and it's, a, it's like there's a bunch of like words above the zombies' heads. Hi, hi, hungry. I'm Ted. You know, <laughs> shit like that. And then, uh, then it goes back to Carl and Rick, and he's Rick's not saying anything. They just he just keeps getting closer. <laughs> Have you seen there's there's an animated GIF, and it's just like like Rick just gets closer. And then he just starts vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> he just like disappears out of frame. And then he's like, I'm over here. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. I got to look that up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what do you think of Jeffrey Dean Morgan? I don't really know anything about him. I'm into it. You know, he, um, he looks, he looks the part. He's going to have to shave off the beard that I saw him with. But. Yeah. Um, you know, I first and knew him. Probably cut his hair. Yeah, uh, I first knew him as uh, uh, John Winchester on Supernatural, mm. um, and he wasn't in the show for very long. But uh, I think that that was a kind of a very different character than what Negan will ultimately be. I think closer to what you'll see portrayed on the screen is his uh, comedian from Watchmen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he was an asshole, but he was still kind of funny in a in a really dramatic and depressing kind of way. Yeah. Um. So I imagine that when you see Jeffrey Dean Morgan play Negan, he'll basically be the comedian. Um, except a lot more violent, maybe. Probably. Uh, with his weapon of choice, which is a baseball bat wrapped in. Barbed wire. Mm-hmm. The old Mick Foley special. Right. Um, 
Speaking of which, you hear Survivor Series is like allegedly a ISIS target. No. Yeah. Who said that, Vince McMahon? No, they were like, no, fuck that. We're going on as planned. Huh. Um, no, I think it was like the state of Pennsylvania or something said it. Huh. I wouldn't put it past that being a WWE creation. <laughs> I don't think they would go that low. I think Vince has legitimately lost his fucking mind. He has, I, but I don't think Vince is all that involved anymore. He's still president. I mean, he's still involved and he still does a lot of stupid things. Right. Him and fucking Kevin Dunn, who is just the worst. Kevin Dunn. He's the head writer and the uh, production head, ah, whatever you call it. The big head. The big hit? Big head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, all the fucked up, like, bad taste shit that they've done in the past. I just read this article that we... Anyways, uh, I just read this article that I remember Tommy Dreamer. He was in ECW. Yeah. Apparently he wanted to get shot as part of a storyline. He wanted a sniper to shoot him. What? He was like, we'll have to hire a real sniper so they can hit me in the shoulder so they don't kill me. He wanted to get actually shot. Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) That guy needs fucking help, man. Yeah. Yes, he does. (laughs) But he was hardcore. That's so stupid. (laughs) This must have been when uh, uh, ECW was letting out death rattles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it was like shortly before the E bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got a hole in my sock. Don't look at it. Fucking hobo. <laughs> I didn't realize it until I put the sock on. I haven't changed my socks yet. Where's your bindle stick? Deal with it. <laughs> um, no, it, like the claim of like I being an ISIS target, like I would not. I would be shocked, but not too shocked, if like at Survivor Series, uh, some fucking douchebag dressed up as a terrorist like runs into the ring or something and gets fucking. Seen the- John Cena comes out. <laughs> uh, they'll bring back uh, what was his name? Mustafa. I don't remember. There, they used to have an Arab wrestler. I don't remember. The Iron Sheik. No, after that. <laughs> His finishing move was called the box cutter. Mm. See? Bad taste. Yeah, like he just comes Poor out timing. and he's just like, we are not afraid of any American except for one man. And his name is Johnson! <laughs> <laughs> and then John Cena comes out of his... <laughs> Apple dough! Comes off his hiatus because he's filming a uh, reality show now. Oh, God. American Grit. What the fuck is that even supposed to mean? Apparently, he was in Puyallup the other day. For what? What? I don't know. Apparently, that's where the grit is. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I don't know. It's dark and gritty. If you want to talk about fucking upper middle class white kids that think they're cowboys. (laughs) Yeah. That's Cowboys or gangsters. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, so Negan. <laughs> uh, Negan's like kind of currently, I mean, probably the longest standing, even more than the governor, but like the big bad of the comic series. So Yeah, he, he makes the governor look like Santa Claus. Right. So got to imagine he'll be around for a while. <clears throat> um, but he's going to show up uh, in the season finale of season six. 
So. And like I said, they're already kind of laying the groundwork with this most recent episode. Right. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, Walking Dead, of course, is or comes on Sundays at 10 o'clock. Oh. On AMC. We do drama. We know it's, it's TNT. That's TNT. <laughs> what's, what's AMC? Uh, I don't know. We love The Walking Dead. Yep. That's, that's their slogan. <laughs> Fox TV is working on a new TV show um, about exorcism called Haunted. It's being uh, developed based on a book called Demon of Brownsville. Oh, sorry. The Demon of Brownsville Road by uh, Bob Cramner. All right. Um, Apparently AMC's tagline is story matters here. That's right. Uh, let's see. The Demon of Brownsville Road is about a uh, it's about a military agent who is partnered with her ex-boyfriend. Ooh, sexy. Well, this is what the show is. Oh, whatever. The book is. Oh, book bad. is a you know based on true events. Right. Book is about objects moving on their own, ghostly footsteps. Unsettling mood, moaning sounds. Blah, 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 blah. Those those kind of unsettling moaning sounds. By the way, I think I'm going to buy my upstairs neighbor some WD-40 for Christmas. Really? Yeah. Ours are pretty bad too. It's 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 like it wakes me up. They do it at 3 a.m. Like, Dude, like on the regular. It's like oh, time for our 3 a.m. Fuck. Uh, our upstairs neighbors they get pretty loud too. Like they're fucking kid. Like, I hate that kid. <laughs> um, is this a kid that was Winnie the Pooh the other day in the window when I came over? <laughs> yep, that's the one. Uh, and yeah, he runs around from. See, the first, I heard him start running around this morning at like eight o'clock. For those of you that don't know, Winnie the Poohing is wearing a shirt with no pants. Right. Also uh, known as Donald Ducking. <laughs> Kind of a or a porky pigging, right? It's also kind of like a half naked man. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, kid runs around from like eight o'clock in the morning until ten o'clock at night. What a piece of shit! Yeah, fucking hate that kid. Uh, his parents are making another one. Dude, it wouldn't surprise me. The other day I came home and like I could swear I kept hearing like a baby crying. I'm like, this kid's like probably like four years old, five years old maybe. It's like that kid cries more than any other kid his age that I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, and then I came home from work and I the kid had his window open or the, the, you know the blinds up and I saw him laying in his bed with a baby crawling all over him. I'm like, oh Christ, there is a baby up there. <laughs> Fuck. I'm hoping that it does. It's not like a permanent baby. It's <laughs> a temporary baby. <laughs> well, like maybe the the kid's being babysat by somebody with a baby. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't live there. Uh anyway. 
Uh, the, the demon of Brownsville Road. <laughs> Unsettling uh, moaning sounds. Like, gradually increased in oh, violence. I thought it said volume. And I was going to be like, well, yeah, that's kind of how. <laughs> uh, physical assaults and bleeding walls. Bleeding walls. Come on. That's cliche. We've all seen Amityville Horror. We know bleeding walls. Come on. Come up with something new. Uh, Bob. Lisa, I guess. Lessa. Probably Lisa, but it's with an E. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> I don't recognize your name being spelled that way. Uh, and their four children were under attack from a malicious demon that was conjuring up terrifying manifestations to destroy their tight-knit household. So, poltergeist. Yeah. Basically. Or uh, the conjuring. Was this... Or not conjuring. Um, are are Bob and Lisa the fucking... People from Amityville, what are their names? Oh. The people who are always making shit up. <laughs> no. That's um, Ed and Lorraine something. Yeah. Them. Ed and Lorraine something. I don't remember their last name. Warren. Yeah. <clears throat> um, maybe Bob and Lisa are the new them. Maybe. Who knows? Because, yeah, they just said Amityville Horror and uh, Poltergeist. They just, they just mix those together to make their own story. Basically. Uh, but the TV show is a project that centers on military agent who has partnered with her ex-boyfriend, uh, now a rogue demonologist. <laughs> a rogue demonologist. Wow. That's like I remember uh, um, on Angel um, when – I mean, I know you didn't watch it and you don't know the characters, but when Wesley showed up again. I know David Boreanaz. The Aurora Borealis, not personally, but like, you ever see that Family Guy Christmas episode? Uh, Stewie and um, and um, Brian go up to the North Pole to find Santa, and along the way they find the uh, Aurora Borealis, which is basically Aurora Borealis except with David Borealis's face in it. I saw the episode of BoJack where uh, Jesse Pinkman told everyone that. Bojack's house was David Boreanaz's house, and he was doing tours of it. <laughs> and he just put pictures of David Boreanaz up on all the pictures. It's <laughs> like over Bojack's face. Wait, was this like he was doing a voice, or he's actually playing? Aaron it's Aaron Paul. Paul, but I mean the character is basically Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, so third attempt to get through this. Um. Trying to help a family overcome a deadly demonic infestation of their home. Seeing as a season-long case investigates the true story, no, it's not, of one of the most haunted houses in America, the believer versus non-believer duo solving the mystery of the present. We'll solve the mystery of the most damaged past. At its core, the series will explore an age-old question, who is evil real? No. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the evil of man. This whole premise just sounds so dumb. And so cliche, the believer versus non-believer duo. Yeah, it's it's who ex- are ex-lovers and they have to solve the mystery of the present while solving the mystery of their damaged past. Fuck off. Yeah, it, it just sounds so dumb. It's X Files again. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what Fox does now. That's all they do is X Files. <laughs> Think about it. You got Sleepy Hollow. Which is X Files. You've got 
Minority, Minority Report now, which is X-Files. You have um, Bones, which is X-Files. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. It's yeah. like they're like a fucking monkey that just keeps pushing the pleasure button. Pleasure button? You ever heard about that experiment? No. I want one of these. They hooked like electrodes up to the pleasure pleasure area of a monkey's brain and uh, had him press the button uh, to you know, send stimuli there and the monkey would just keep pressing it until he died. <laughs> All right. I probably would too. Sure. Or at least to like, you know, finished and then, <laughs> then have a cigarette. <laughs> clean, clean myself up. <laughs> Get a paper towel. Uh, so that's that. Sounds stupid. It's X-Files. In other news, look for the X-Files to return in January 2016. <laughs> I was waiting when you were listing off all these shows and saying it's X-Files. I would be like, and X-Files? They're bringing back fucking X-Files. <laughs> Which I don't have a problem with. I'm looking forward to that. Well, yeah. But that's because that's the original. It's right. a tried and true formula. Grab your tennis shoes and your canoe and your old flat top guitar. Your fishing pole, your tent full of holes, and throw it in the back of the car. We're going camping. Are you ready for some camping? Out in the woods. So, of all the channels to get in on this horror TV bubble, ABC Family is joining in the fun. Doing all right over there? (laughs) Tony's rubbing his nipples like crazy. Being sexy. Are they chapped? (laughs) Not yet. Working on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, ABC Family is creating a horror anthology show. <clears throat> Although ABC Family is rebranding as Freeform next year and trying to be less family and more edgy. Yeah, I think probably because they had so much success with shows like Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. They want to expand more on that. And that's not really family. 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 You're right. Uh, family oriented. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they say words like bitch and family. Family. <laughs> Set in the late 1980s, school is out for the summer, and a sun-drenched season of firsts beckons the counselors at Camp Clearwater, a seemingly idyllic Midwestern summer camp, including first loves, first kisses, and first kills. <sighs> Clearwater's dark ancient mythology awakens, and what was supposed to be a summer of fun soon turns. Soon, family. Soon turns into <laughs> soon turns into one of unforgettable scares and evil at every turn. Part coming of age story, part supernatural horror story. Dead of Summer is a bold new series that mixes genres as as it examines the light and dark of a summer like no other. Uh, it doesn't sound like it mixes genres. Sounds like it's a slasher. Yeah, I'm not seeing any other genre. Yeah, other than like maybe maybe romance. Yeah, like yeah, teen romance show. <laughs> Whatever. But I'm kind of into this. I'll probably give it a shot. I'm sure you are, yeah. It sounds like a Friday the 13th show and not like the actual Friday the 13th show. Right. Which sounds like garbage. Yeah, it sounds like doo-doo. Um, this is, sounds like it's going to be all right. It's being developed by uh, Edward Kitsis and uh, Adam Horowitz, who uh, are currently doing Once Upon a Time. And did Lost. Nobody cares about They did Lost. Lost. <laughs> Tell them about Lost. Oh, light and dark. 
Now it all makes sense. Because Lost. You would get that reference if you watched Lost. What? Watch Lost. I'm not going to watch Lost. There's a fucking polar bear on a tropical island. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah, not the smoke monster. That's not the dumb part. I don't know what the smoke monster is. It's basically a huge cloud of smoke. A sentient cloud of haze? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. All hail the glow cloud. <laughs> uh, no, this sounds like it could be cool. <laughs> I don't know. It could be cool. <laughs> as long as they don't make it, like, really fucking pussy, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of worried it's going to be, like, that aim towards teens, so it's going to pull a lot of punches. Yeah. Like what Scream Queens has kind of turned out to be. Yeah. Like, Scream Queens could have been cool. Scream and Queens is still fairly bloody, though. No, yeah. It's not devoid from violence, but it could have been better. It yeah. could have been, you know, obviously it was geared towards can't even really say the MTV generation because they're not um, generation. The YouTube generation? Sure. The Facebook generation, I guess. Um, that make us the MySpace generation? <laughs> I'm trying to think of like kids that have like basically been raised on social media. We didn't have that when we were kids. No, I remember when you had to get an, an invite to Friendster. I, never, <laughs> I was never on Friendster because... Like, from its inception, I thought MySpace was stupid. Like, this is so dumb. It's never going to go anywhere. Like, why would anybody be on this? Remember when everyone was like, Facebook? That's not. That's never going to overtake MySpace. Come yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a Facebook for the longest time. I think I was the last person to do it. No, I think Jeremy was the last person to do it. Oh, uh, well, sure. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and that, that's just when, like... When I did go to Facebook, I liked the simplicity of it, and now it's not the biggest pain in the ass <laughs> ever. Um. Anyway, uh, where do we leave off? Oh, yeah. So I want to see what the killer looks like. Um, yeah. Of course, this never really specifically says that it's a slasher. That's true. I guess I just the just camp, assume, camp yeah. part of it kind of made me assume. That's true. Ancient mythology. Yeah, I don't know what it could be. Maybe it is supernatural or, you know, ghosts or some shit. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But, you know, I hear 1980 summer camp and it's like right. my ears perk up. You immediately go to Slasher. Yeah. Um, so I'll give this a shot as long as it's not too, like I said, not too pussy. 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 But first, let me take a selfie. short film, Selfie from Hell, is being adapted into a full-length film. I put this on here because I like when we get press releases, and this was one that we got. Yep. So uh, send us more press releases. Yeah. We're open to them. We will talk about them. Yeah. Ask Jessica Cameron. She sends them to us all the time. Yeah. Uh, yes. Selfie from Hell, being adapted into a full-length film. Have you seen this? I have not. Oh. Do some research, bro. <laughs> I have a very busy life. It's like two minutes long. So busy. Basically, it's just this chick is taking selfies, and every time she takes a selfie, she looks in the picture, and there's a, a guy behind her. 
It sounds, is this kind of old? Uh, a few months. Oh, really? That sounds really familiar. I think this year. Hmm. Maybe I have seen it and I just don't really remember it all that well. And then, like, she turns around and there's nothing there. And then she takes another one and he's closer. And turns around and there's nothing there. And then she takes another one and he's, like, right behind her and he kills her. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, it was co-created by Celan and Mila <laughs> Adams. Or two student filmmakers from Cologne. Would it be Cologne if it's German? Cologne? Cologne? I don't know. Cologne. Just, just say Cologne. Cologne, Germany. Um, directed by Erdal Salen. Oh. What? What? I don't know. I'm confused here. Directed by Erdal Salen. What's the problem? Wait, so somebody's name Salen... Adams and then Erdal Salen. Oh, I see the confusion. No, I think the probably the directed by Erdal Salen should have been first. It's mm. a real bang up job you did here. Hey, fuck me, right? Uh, it's yeah, uh, it's being picked up by Industry Works Studios, who uh, produced American Mary. Hey, that's a thing. That is a thing. Yeah. Um, I'm. Curious how they'll make this into a full length. Me too. I, I I don't see how you can make this into a full length. I imagine that they have something in mind. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. But I would think we'll see. But hey, fucking student filmmakers getting picked up by the same studio as American Mary. That's that's living the dream, right? Yeah. Uh, why why can't we? Yeah. If anyone wants to, make why a, not us? If anyone wants to pay us to make a full length of the camp out, we will absolutely do it because we're already writing one. Spoilers. <laughs> Who knows when it'll be done? What's the last time we, either of us worked on it? Oh, uh, we stopped to work on other stuff. Yep. We got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of irons in the fire over here. <laughs> we're very busy, man. <laughs> so busy. We're very important. <laughs> we're wearing top hats. It makes us important. Oh, man, we were at the mall. <laughs> I was waiting for like, oh, man, we should get top hats. <laughs> we should get top hats. My wife and I were at the mall the other day, and uh, there was this guy like selling hats, like basically every kind of hat you could think of. Just a guy? He had like a like a, like a wasn't really. trench coat? <laughs> no, he had. I got beanies. I got newsies. What do you want? <laughs> Uh, it wasn't really a kiosk. It was more just several tables set up. But just a random guy. <laughs> yeah, just, some, just some fucking guy in the mall, whatever. It's like this one I was at a mall and I was sitting on a bench and this guy comes up and sits right next to me and he's like, hey, what's up, man? I was like, oh, hey. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were someone else. Bye. Do you want to buy some cologne? <laughs> <laughs> what? I was like, No. <laughs> Uh, fuck. Anyways, top hats. He sold top hats. Like, not just like hats like that. Fucking top hats, man. Like something a magician would wear. <laughs> like the mayor from Nightmare Before Christmas? Not quite that exaggerated. <laughs> but you're in, you know, in the wheelhouse. Uh, not, I mean, not quite like, like Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland. Not like that. But like just straight... Black top hats with like kind of the outward pitch a little bit. If we just walked around wearing top hats, every single person we walked by would look at the other person they're with and go, the fuck's with the top hats? <laughs> and they'd want to <laughs> know. 
wouldn't be a story. It'd be like, hey, what's up with Top Hats? would be like, we bought it at the mall <laughs> from a guy. I want to buy one so bad. <laughs> Do they like compress? Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Flip it around our head. <laughs> at a jaunty angle. <laughs> oh, we're dumb. <laughs> we should get Top Hats. And just walk around, but like wear wear our show shirts, so people know that we're someone's important. We're like, it's it's not it's not a steampunk thing. It's just a just a topic. Oh, do you see fucking welder's goggles anywhere on our person? <laughs> on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Telling you, man, top hats. <laughs> so Matthew McConaughey is in negotiations to star in the Dark Tower. Uh, top hats are the next evolution of the he'll be wearing it. He'll be wearing a top hat. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's gonna be wearing them next year. <laughs> top hats are so in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a top Shut hats. up! <laughs> Stop talking about fucking top hats. <laughs> so excited about them. All right. Well, you can buy me a top hat for Christmas. Done. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey is in negotiations to star in the Dark Tower as either the hero, Roland DeShane, or the villain, Johnny Cash. Isn't that wild? All right, all right, all right, all right. Um, Johnny Cash, what? The Man in Black. Yep. Not actually Johnny Cash. Um, but he's said to be leaning towards playing the villain. So, what do you think of this? Uh, I don't know that I could take him seriously as a villain. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think he's right for a villain. Well, apparently both sides are very eager to come to an agreement so they, they want him bad. They want him so hard. In their pants. And top hats. Because he drives Buicks. He was driving Buicks before they paid him to. Before they made Buicks. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Isn't that crazy? All right. So that's that's all we got to say about that? <laughs> nope. Pass. <laughs> No, like I said, I don't. I can't take him seriously as a villain. He's just too much of a fucking goofball. He is a goofball. This probably should have been remains. We don't have anything to say about this. Uh, but you know, I've heard they wanted to offer the role of uh, Roland to um, um, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, and yeah, I, I thought that would would have been perfect. But I, maybe they still can. Maybe. If McConaughey takes the Man in Black role, I guess I would. Take somebody a little more intimidating. Like whom? John Hamm, Kevin Durand. <laughs> yes, John Hamm. Let's give John Hamm every role ever. I'm okay with it. He's a handsome man. <laughs> He's a handsome ham. Shut up. <laughs> um, have you ever noticed that online? Like every time, how handsome he is. <laughs> Yes, I've noticed. No, how like 
every time, like, say, oh, well, they're doing casting for this role from this famous character that you know, everybody's just like, go oh, get John Hamm. He's perfect. Like, no, he's not. He doesn't look anything not, like him. not perfect. He's handsome, but he's not perfect. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> anyway. But I'm still pretty excited about the Dark Tower. I'm very interested to see how they're going to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Especially since it's going to be like it's supposed to be what three movies and a TV show. I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be crazy. It's, Dark Tower is so big and running simultaneously too. Yeah, I mean, not literally. Well, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. <laughs> anyway. So Danny Boyle was on a press tour for uh, Steve Jobs, which I guess he directed. Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, he was basically referenced to saying, okay, guys, first serious, I'm making 24 mo- 28 months later. For realsies. I'm totally serial, you guys. <laughs> Super serious this time. Except he said it with a British accent. Yeah. He called people wankers. <laughs> um, yeah, so he like he was talking to IGN, <clears throat> and he said uh, it is a good idea, which I can't obviously what, like, which I can't obviously say what it is. That's not a good sentence, uh, but it's a lovely idea because there's been so many stories told since we did the first one, you know, in television and other movies and stuff like that. It's become such a popular device. Uh, television, uh, wait, I'm oh, sorry, uh, becomes such a popular device, The Walking Dead, if you like, or zombies, or the infected, as we call them. See, not zombies. Yeah, see, even Danny Boyle knows. There's no argument for him. He knows they're not zombies. No. That's madness. Him and uh, Alex, whatever, that wrote it, does the same thing. Not fucking zombies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, do we do we need this? Uh, no. Yeah. I think... It's been more than 28 months. It's been, like, about, what, eight years, I think? Has it been that long? I think so, yeah. People don't care anymore. I'm sorry. No, and... Although they're making sequels to movies that came out 30 fucking years ago, so... Fair enough, but... Those are good movies. (laughs) Let's say that 28 Days Later was... Was bad. Um, Twenty eight weeks later, it was bad. Yeah, it was not very good. It was rubbish. Um, but well, that's right. He's making Train Spotting too. What? Really? Yeah, that's what he's working on now. Oh, for Christ's sake! I mean, I'm not one of those like diehard oh, Train Spotting is awesome. Have you read the book? People? No, I tried. I could not do it. Is it? All- it's, it's written in a Cockney accent. Oh, for Christ's sake! I could not make the first chapter. I had to just stop. I was like, I don't know what's happening. That's there are like varying degrees of Cockney accents, I think. And sometimes there's there's just too much. Yeah. And just seeing it in print is just Especially when they start using like Cockney slang. Yeah. 
like, how do they even, how do, between the two of them, how do they know what they're saying? I don't know. It's like when I'm listening to somebody that talks too fast, they're just like nodding along. <laughs> I have no idea what they're saying. Um, yeah. I don't want to see this. I don't, I don't think anybody does. Uh, there are probably people, but they're wrong. <laughs> they're, they're, they're dumb. Um, Danny Boyle guy, come on. Come on. Don't. Come on. Don't do it. I just moved in my new house today. Moving was hard, but I got squared away. Bell started ringing and changed right loud. I knew I'd moved in a haunted house. Speaking of things we don't want to see. House is apparently being remade. Not not the TV show about the doctor. Nope. The 1986 uh, horror comedy directed by Steve Miner and produced by Sean S. Cunningham and starring Norm. George went. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was waiting for. Thank you. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham is developing this, the remake. Of course he is. He told Fangoria at the New York City Horror Film Festival that he's doing it right now and that they are deeply in development. So deep. Uh, he said, we worked on... We're so deep inside development. So deep in the house. <laughs> uh, we worked on a new house about four or five years ago and determined that the structure of the original is extremely strong and that just remaking it in modern times wasn't going to improve it and wasn't going to change it. Oh! It would have to be rethought, and there had to be a really good reason to do it. My God, I hate this so much already. It gets worse. I know, I know, I know. Recently, we came up with, and it sounds so obvious, what if we made a gender switch so that it's not a man in the house? Although they're not involved, imagine House starring Kristen Wiig or Melissa McCarthy. Ah! It wouldn't be either one of them. Well, it could. I mean, that's the dream. But suddenly we realized, oh, wait, then everything would have to adjust. And also, if we did it that way, it would bring back the fun that House had. So that's the direction I'm committed to going in. I would love to make that movie. And I hope to be able to keep all the elements of the personal story from the Bill Cat version and still have it be fun. What? How much really changes if you do a gender switch in, in fucking House? I don't... Nothing. Ah, my period! <laughs> Yep. <laughs> That's the jokes women make. <laughs> Dude, going back and rewatching 30 Rock, it's so great. Like there, <laughs> there's so many jokes that they wouldn't be able to get away with now because people are so oversensitive. But it's like they get away with it because it's the women making women jokes and it's the black guy making black jokes. So that's how they get away with it. Yeah. And it's, but it's, they're so, just so good. <laughs> Um. Oh my God! I don't want to see Melissa McCarthy. The zombies can smell the menstruation. <laughs> I don't want to see Melissa McCarthy in anything ever again. <laughs> she ruins everything. Yeah, she ruins my life. She's currently ruining my life. I've never met her, and she's ruining my life. <laughs> So, That's the kind of evil power that she has. This is what Sean S. Cunningham is doing. 
fuck he's him. He's making a terrible Friday the Thirteenth show, and he wants to remake House with Melissa McCarthy. <sighs> is she gonna, is she going to play the George Wayne character? Probably, because they're both fat. <laughs> uh yeah. That, that's that's Sean S. Cunningham's thought process. He's like, oh, we had a fat guy in the original, and we need a fat girl. I don't think Sean S. Cunningham has a thought process. He doesn't have a. He can't do anything original. Yeah. <laughs> He's out of ideas. He ran out of ideas in the eighties. Did he even have ideas then? He didn't like write any of the Friday Thirteenth, did he? Mm, good question. I don't think so. I think he's a guy who got rich and famous off other people's backs. It does kind of seem that way. You know, I'm fine with his involvement in the Friday Thirteenth game because when you crystal like it sounds like all he really did was just hand over the the property. Basically, yeah. Which I just don't understand how he has the rights to those because I could swear that he like just disappeared from the, the series mm. until uh, maybe he bought him back from Paramount or whoever. I don't know. I don't know. The rights of Jason are so fucking confusing. Yeah, they um, really are. I mean, uh, Scrivens talked about that from you know his perspective a little bit, but just purely from like a movie perspective, you know, they like the, the rights to like the story and like crystal Lake and like those belong to Paramount or something or no, or belong to new line and the rights to Jason's image belong to Paramount or something like that. Something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, Jesus Christ. How does anybody keep it straight? But anyway, uh, this is dumb. It, it blows my mind that he thinks that there needs to be like he said himself that they tr- were going to develop it, but nothing was different. And like, there was no point to it. It's like, yeah, stop there. Yeah. And now suddenly he thinks that there is just because he wants to gender swap. How is that justification? So he can make money it's off different. the gender swap. Anyway. But this is supposed to come out. Oh, never mind. That's something else. Nobody cares. This is going to come out someday, eventually, maybe, maybe. or not. Who cares? Let's see if it actually even happens. Make it one for my baby And one more for the road So, as I'm sure you all I know by now, I would assume um, earlier this year we lost uh, well a couple months ago I guess it was the last month I don't know my grip on time is tenuous uh, let me see it was when I went back east which was in September okay so September uh Wes Craven passed away. Uh, I think the world is still mourning that a little bit. Um, but 
before he passed away, he was uh, currently, or he was the executive pro- me, executive producer on the girl in the photographs. Uh, it was a film being uh, directed and co-written by Nick Simon, who wrote The Pyramid. Ooh. I never mm. saw it, but I heard bad things. Yeah, I heard, like, all bad things. Yeah. Like, it sounded like people explaining what happened. It sounds so bad. Yeah. Uh, so, he was the EP on that, or on this um, uh, Girl in the Photographs. And apparently it's it's going to get a release, um, which even if it's bad, it's still nice that uh, Wes Craven's kind of final project is coming to fruition. Yeah, for sure. Um, starring Cal Penn, a.k.a. Kumar, <laughs> uh, Catherine Isabel who's from American Mary, and Mitch Pileggi, who is Horace Pinker. Oh, is that who it is? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or uh, assistant director um, I can't remember his name Skinner from X-Files uh, Stories about Colleen's life isn't going anywhere The small town natural beauty is bored with her dead end grocery store or dead end job at a grocery store and is ready Distance herself from her abusive boyfriend. In the midst of her turmoil, a pair of deranged serial killer begins leaving her photos of the mutilated victims. Her chance to escape comes in the form of Peter Hemmings, a hipster celebrity photographer who's traveled back to his hometown of Spearfish, South Dakota. Cal Penn is not from South Dakota. <laughs> no I, one's going to buy that. I'm sorry. Uh with a pack of models intent on copying the killer's intense and unapologetic art- artistry. Ooh, that's very untactful. Why would you do that? Because you're an asshole. That's what hipsters do. They do asshole things. Oh, for an important ad campaign. Maybe that's fucking important. Who, what, who would have that as an ad campaign? I don't know. That'd just be a real dick move. Yeah. When he learns Colleen is their muse, Peter resolves to make her his own and use her as the centerpiece of a photo campaign in Los Angeles. But before Colleen can leave her old life behind, she must contend with the desires of her murderous stalkers who have chosen her last night in town to execute their most provocative work to date. Who is the bad guy in this? Is it Peter Hemmings? Or is it some nameless killer? I think Peter Peter Hemmings might be the bad guy in that he's kind of a douchebag. I mean, why would you replicate murders? Or in a very important ad campaign, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I'm still stuck on this. What? Who would use... American Apparel. <laughs> I was thinking like L'Oreal or something. For makeup. I don't think so. Like, these girls might be dead, but look how beautiful they are. I'm sticking with American Apparel. Maybe. Uh, either way, there's a planned release for this in uh, the second quarter of 2016. Nothing more specific than that. But, um, I don't know. I don't know about this. I kind of wish that uh, Wes Craven had done something that sounded better. <laughs> but, we'll see. Uh, in Remains, 
Nicholas Winding Refn's Neon Demon has been picked up by Amazon Studios for a theatrical release. Um, yes, that's Amazon as in Amazon.com or Amazon.GraveplotPodcast.com. Uh, coming to theaters summer of 2016, Neon Demon is about Jesse, played by Elle Fanning, an aspiring model who moves to Los Angeles in hopes of breaking through. Her youth and vitality are devoured by a group of beauty-obsessed women who will take any means necessary to get what she has. Is Elle Fanning, is that Dakota Fanning's sister? Yeah. Okay. She's younger, isn't she? I think so. I'm just saying, because Dakota Fanning's not that old. She's like, what? Maybe 20 now? Yeah, maybe. Uh, That makes me feel old. Yeah. I don't like that. (laughs) FX has renewed American Horror Story for a sixth season. That should come to absolutely no shock to anyone. Um, there's been uh, nothing further on us, like, dueling seasons of uh, American Horror Story, kind of like how Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead are doing now. Um, but uh, Murphy and his cohorts are releasing American Crime Story in February 2016 which is focusing on uh, the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, Ryan Murphy has approached Lady Gaga about returning next season. You know, I don't think I've said this on the show before. I mentioned it to you, but have you still not watched it? Nope. The show is pretty good, I I say. I keep hearing it's like the best season yet. uh, No, I wouldn't say that. It's it's similar in feel to a degree with Murder House, which is good because Murder House, in my opinion, is still the best season. Uh, the only problem is every time Lady Gaga comes on screen, I lose interest. I feel I can like detect my interest in what I'm watching fading. Like I start getting distracted by pretty much anything else going on around me. <laughs> um. And it took me a while to even notice that. But it's like I, I w- would realize at the end of an episode that I got completely lost at some point because I stopped paying attention. I was like, well, why did I stop paying attention? I was interested. It's because fucking Lady Gaga was on screen. She's a bad actress. Her character isn't interesting in the slightest. And she she's hard to look at. I'm not saying she's ugly. She, her face just annoys me. <laughs> All right. But her character's so fucking dumb. She's like supposed to be like this. I mean, she's essentially like a vampire. Um, which I'd say spoiler alert, but anybody that's watching it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, and she's really bitchy. And there's not much to her. And I feel like it's wasted screen time every time she says something. <laughs> so it's just annoying. I want her to leave. Um, our friends at Bloody Disgusting are reporting this is going to be the uh, season six is going to be the final season. Uh, added note is that that has been confirmed exactly zero other places. None. Zero. Donut. Not even in the press release from FX. Right. 
Yeah, nobody has even hinted at it. And yet, bloody disgusting. Exclusive news. That they like didn't even play up. Like if, if it was exclusive news, you know that Misco would be like, in a bloody disgusting exclusive that only I have. Right. And he'd be filleting himself. Yeah, and then he'd name drop a bunch of people. Uh, anyway. So yeah, probably not the final season. Right, but I'm sure we'll see season six in October of 2016, as per usual. Uh, John Spates, the writer of Prometheus, and Eric Heiserer, who made that god-awful remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010, have been hired to write the reboot of Van Helsing for Universal. Was this Vanessa Van Helsing? No. Vanessa Helsing or whatever? No, that's for sci-fi. This is for Universal. This is the movie. Oh, why? Why are they remaking Van Helsing? Oh, my God. Hey, we should team up. (laughs) But, Still say, just make Samuel L. Jackson play him, and he can be the common link between all of them. <laughs> he can be their Nick Fury. Exactly. Uh, wow. I have the same question now as I did when they made the original Van Helsing movie. Why? <laughs> Van Helsing is not an action star. It's not like he, he doesn't need his own movie. Oh, and you're to to create a story similar to the one that was in the original Van Helsing movie with you know with uh, Wolverine, uh, Wolverine. Schnicky Schnicky Schnai. Uh, it's it completely offsets and negates the creation of the character in Dracula. Like I said, I think last episode, Van Helsing. Abraham Van Helsing is a doctor. He's like in his 50s. And he doesn't know Dracula. He knows of vampires, but he doesn't know Dracula. Mel Brooks was the best Van Helsing. <laughs> I think uh, Anthony Hopkins was. Wrong. No. Oh. It's Mel Brooks. Fuck me, right? Um, That's dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, nobody wants to see this. Uh, Alien Paradise Lost. Found uh, it. Uh, has a new title. Uh, synopsis and release date. Now called Alien Covenant. Which is apparently a Halo thing. Okay. Um, Ridley Scott returns to the university created an Alien with Alien Covenant. Uh, this is basically a sequel to Prometheus. It is a sequel to Prometheus, yes. Yeah, and I can remember that when he first developed Prometheus, or like he was, you know, first releasing it, he said, this is a completely different story than Alien. It's in the same universe, but different story. And now they're just making it the same story. Uh, yeah, because it, it says it connects directly to the original Alien film. Um. Uh, it, it sounds like basically the same story over. Uh, it's a crew of a colony ship called the Covenant on some distant world. I guess you come to find out that this is actually the planet that the first movie ended on. Um, so it's dumb. Right? <laughs> I guess Michael Fassbender's coming back. So 
you know, good for him. And uh, October 6, 2017, that's, that's when this is happening to us. Speaking of movies getting new names. Thanks for the input. Uh, the home invasion thriller Shut In, which I feel like we talked about on the show for some reason or another, but it's being rebranded as Intruders. Uh, it's about Anna, a girl suffering from extreme agoraphobia that prevents her from fleeing when a trio of violent criminals, led by Martin Starr, what? break into her home thinking it's empty. Instead, she turns the tables and begins playing some nasty tricks on the invaders. So it's the collector. I mean, like, if I saw Martin Starr break into my house, I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here <laughs> before I kick your ass. <laughs> Maybe the other two are big. You just travel around with two fucking walruses. Maybe. <laughs> uh, this is coming to VOD and select theaters on January 15th. Uh, last year, uh, the video game, was, eh, I don't think it's fair to say they're a competitor with the Friday the 13th game, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm financially invested in both of them. <laughs> um. But they received uh, $17,000 in funding from Epic Games. Uh, it's adding to the $86,000 from uh, Kickstarter and the $260,000 from uh, uh, Canada Media Fund, uh, totaling out to $363,000 for the game development. Um, Epic Games is the creator of the Unreal Engine and Gears of War. Uh, lots of games run on the Un- Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. So That's pretty big. Yeah. So good for them. Uh, I'm happy for them, and I hope this gets me my game faster. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for Remains. And that's it for Horror Business. Yep. So next up, we've got uh, an interview with a special guest uh, from England. Yeah. um, Of all places. Movie reviewer, storyteller, and uh, proprietor of the website BleedingCritic.com. It's Bleeding Critic. So let's check it out. Everyone here with Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror, and we're here with a special guest straight from the UK and BleedingCritic.com. We're with Bleeding Critic himself. How you doing, sir? Hello, Taylor. Hello, Tony. Thank you for having me on your show. By the way, is there a window where you are while you're talking to me? Yes. Can you see me outside the window? Well, the blinds are closed, so. But it's just the fact that you're there. <laughs> Thank right. you for having me on. So how are you both? Very good. I guess uh, we'll just start out with some basic questions. Um, uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're pretty dedicated to the horror genre. Um, when would you say you first kind of got started? Yeah. Like, you, when, when did your interest first peak in horror? I think um, this time I, I started, I think I've always had a passion for horror ever since I was a young clown. And I think um, with myself getting involved with the industry, it sort of started with existing horror reviews and trailers giving a film's plot and surprises away. And it got to the point there was no need to buy a cinema ticket. And um, I sort of had a 
what some may call a light bulb moment or I'd call a eyeball bursting moment uh, and thought there's a plenty of room for another voice in the horror genre and for me to do something original with um, interactive video film reviews and my own audio stories. So, yeah, it's been an ongoing process. What was the first horror movie, what, one, the first movie you ever saw and then the first one that really kind of made you think this is this is the genre for me? That's good. Um... I think the first time that a film stayed with me, I think it was when the very first time, I must have been about 12 or 13, when I saw Jaws. And I think um, Steven used that, um, he used the camera sort of halfway in the water and half above the water, and that was the first time that camera effect had been seen. And, and I think it was the music was the start of that film. And I think that stayed with me, and I think that gave me the first taste. And it's almost like the fear of you want to, it's like going on a roller coaster ride, isn't it? You want to think, is this ride going to be the best one I've ever been on? And that's a bit like films. Oh, you got a dog? Yeah. <laughs> Which, what type of dog is it? Uh, she is a German Shepherd and Lab mix. Beautiful. And what's her name? Her name is Suka. Brilliant. I have two dogs, two lurchers that are very fast. Nice. Very cool. So, bleedingcritic.com um, comes along with uh, your your bleeding critic persona. Um, yeah. When, uh, when did you first kind of develop that character? Well, I felt... <sighs> I think these days there's um, quite a few people making stupid people famous. And with a lot of celebrities, their lives are available for everyone to know everything about them. And for me, it's just boring and mundane. So to me, it's it's about the work. And I wanted to create a character where I think what I do, I create an an air of an element of intrigue and mystery. And the fact no one's ever going to know anything about me makes it quite exciting um, because I've sort of threaded an intricate web of information about myself. And um, it came came along where I just got really fed up with the existing faces in horror. I felt were quite either um, quite old in age or they lectured people with dates and horror history and they're almost like walking encyclopedias about horror. It didn't really represent me, and I thought I can, I want, I can add something else to the mix. So, therefore, I thought being a mysterious character that's not a character from a film would be quite interesting. And um, initially, I had a mask from eBay, and I had to have one that was copyrighted. So I had my own ones, especially made by. Coolia Creatures, which is an effects company here in the UK, who's known for winning Oscars for uh, the Meryl Streep film, The Iron Lady, and I think they do a hell of a lot of work for the um, Harry Potter films. And um, what was really interesting in that creative process was I gave them all pictures of images of faces that disturbed me, and I said, look, you're the creatives, I'm not going to stand over you, you do your magic. And they delivered. I remember walking into the workshop, seeing my new beautiful face for the first time. And I knew I was onto something special. And I know a lot of people suffer from coolerophobia, which is obviously the fear of clowns. And um, I, I just, I loved it. So it became, um, it just felt right. You know, I just didn't want to do the same thing that's been done before. But also at the same time doing that, it's very, very difficult because what I do is so niche, you know, character who's a film critic who spoil, does for spoiler-free film uh, reviews 
plus his own audio stories, and he wears a mask. That's quite a big hurdle to get to get over. So was it was it your idea to have it be a clown, or was that their idea? No, it was my idea. It was my idea. It was more because the, the, I, I got a I bought a clown mask from eBay initially, uh, quite a grotesque mask, and I thought, and it worked in the early stages. And I thought, well. I need to get a mask that I own that's worldwide copyrighted, an image that that no one else can copy. So um, I had to go down the route of getting it done professionally, and um, and I'm really proud of it. I mean, to to see what your imagination wanted and see it created, and I'm sure those listeners out there that are in the industry or are creative people, when you when you see what your imagination gave you come to life, is there is nothing like it. Yeah, I'm a bit of a special effects artist myself, and uh, I know, for, at least for me, because it's so everyone's so inundated with you know popular imagery, a lot of times it's hard to come up with something that's original. So to develop something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that you, Taylor? Is that you? No, is that you it, talking, Taylor? It's me, Taylor. Or sorry, Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forgot his own name. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's. Tony, uh, thank you, Pop. Yeah, so I thought. So you like? I understand you like practical effects. Yes, very much. Um, so you must absolutely love the original, the thing. Oh, I love the thing. It's, it's like John Quinter. Early in my childhood, that was like one of my first like influences that really uh, spoke to me as being something where these real life monsters can be created, um, and now I can reflect yeah. back on it. And say, oh well, now they're doing it with computers, and that's by comparison much easier. And there's just not that same amount of artistry attached to it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I remember before the thing came out, I remember reading a Sunday magazine, and it described something like a human head sprouting legs. And at the time, <laughs> I was thinking, what really? How on earth are they going to do that? Mm-hmm. And when I went to the cinema, it was at a time when you can actually sit in a cinema and see a second showing without get, uh, being asked to leave. And that's what I did. I stayed in the, the cinema twice when that came out. Nice. But, um, yes, memories, my friend. <laughs> so um, the the name Bleeding Critic, uh, where, did, yep. where did you come up with that? Or did it just, did it just strike you or did, did you toy around with it? Or? Well, it came about when... Um, I, I, it was a conversation I had with a friend, and I said, oh, God, anyone can be a bleeding critic. <laughs> and then I thought, well, my website at the time, I started off with a website called Bleeding Films originally, which is now changed to bleedingcritic.com. And it came like that, really. I wanted to have a, something that was just a bit different. And, um, and Bleeding Critic, it just, you know, like sometimes I'm sure it's like... If someone is, is in a band and they're trying to find a name, and when they get that name, or if they, they're about to have a baby, they'll think of a name and the couple um, would agree on it. It's that moment where you go, yes, mm. and that's how it happened. It, it, took, um, it took about 20 minutes to come up with a name. It was on my mind, but it actually helped me talking to someone about it, and, and, um, and I just came up with it, just, and it stuck. It stuck over the past five years. That's cool. Usually the, the best things usually just kind of happen organically like that. It's not something that you, you, know, you sit and brainstorm for hours. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's what's so nice is being on social media, because I do support a lot of new horror talent. And one thing I'm starting very soon is a special page called Your horror short films and I've um, I'll be 
introducing um, people's short films without disclosing the plot and having them featured on my site forever. Um, and what's amazing is um, even just recently tonight, someone's just sent me something uh, that looks really good. So it's brilliant when you see how much talent is out there on the net, um, creative new horror talent it's exciting and i do i always um interact as much as i can with people that are fans and people within the industry and if i see someone that's got talent i you know i'll shout it from the hills that's cool we actually have a couple of short films ourselves so that's something we're going to be keeping an eye on oh cool yeah well when the time comes when it's ready send me send me the um the links and i can um i'll definitely have a look and, and consider them and i'm sure they'll be great yeah we will for sure so what what draws you to... Out of interest, Tony. Yes. Yes, Tony. Um, I understand you like vampire films. Have you experienced Tony Scott's The Hunger with David Bowie? Oh, jeez. I, be- I believe Catherine I have. Catherine Deneuve. Yeah. It's an 80s film. I, yeah, I, yeah. It's one of my favourite vampire films. I'm sure I have. Um, that might be one of those ones I haven't seen in many, many years. So, oh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's worth, I mean, the late Tony Scott, it's, you know, he started off doing adverts, television adverts. And um, that film I remember because of the music and how beautiful it looked and it looked like an advert. And when I was reading, looking at your website, and a very nice website you guys has, oh, by the way. Thank you. Um, I, um, I thought of The Hunger again when um, I saw that you liked uh, vampire stories. Yeah, I think those are probably like the the original monsters for me. Um you know, being a kid, I was, you know, raised watching, uh, you know, uh, Dracula and uh, Fright Night. Fright Night's still a big one for me. Oh, yes. Do you like um, 30 Days of Night? Yeah, uh, I do. Um, I know it's it's kind of a, a, a torn critic response, I think, um, but I really liked it, just to kind of the still attached to some of the, you know, similar lore of vampirism but kind of flips it on its head a little bit and i thought that was pretty interesting cool i'll tell you something um that's just happened on twitter i had i've got a new um follower by the name of at kirsty hawkshaw and she kindly sent me a, a horror memory i get people to um they talk about a moment from a film any film that disturbed them and then they send me the clip and i upload it for them so i'm the only critic giving horror fans a say and um she sent me her horror memory and i sent her this demon spiders and damaged spirits always ask me for advice and i tell them the same thing when your victim is asleep climb into their mouth and in return she sent me a photograph of a spider sitting on her head and i'm trying to work out if it's real or not (laughs) <laughs> and that's just happened over the past 15 minutes, which is very, very entertaining. I bet. Because I, I really love spiders. Um, so that's literally just come in. Sorry to divert there, guys. I thought I you'd like to No, that's that. fine. <laughs> We're pretty uh, on, on uh, what's the word, restricted, I guess, with our interview. So. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And um, Taylor, I understand you... You kind of like films that remain in your skull. And I was wondering if you've seen the film that is 
has absolute beautiful sound and disturbing imagery, which is one of my favorites, The Exorcist 3. Uh, I have. I haven't seen it in a long time. I've seen the first one I'm, more recently, but yeah, I have seen uh, it. I'll speak out of turn here. Uh, yeah, it's worth it. Go on. Uh, just, the, in my opinion, it's probably not a popular one. I think Exorcist 3 is actually better than the first Exorcist. Oh, that's controversial. <laughs> it both, is, it I is. I think they're both stud films. I know what you mean because it's a totally different experience. But what's, for me, what's so memorable about about the number three is that it's written and directed by the guy that actually wrote the original The Exorcist, right. which William Friedkin directed. So it made it quite special. And um, I think the imagery, I remember seeing it, I saw it at the cinema, and then I remember seeing it with friends and it was really, they found it really disturbing. And I do plan to have another look at it because, as you know, some films are timeless. You can watch them again and they may be a little bit faded due to the passing of time, but there's still something about them that gives them an edge that you just crave for, that you very rarely get. Yes, for sure. Um, and, and part three does a very good job of washing the taste of part two out of your mouth. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I, I hardly lasted with that one. It was just a joke. I mean, it's a shame, but... Um, and I think Friedkin himself is very uh, disappointed with those sequels, for sure. There was another two that were done, um, and um, they had good moments in them. I've, I've reviewed them myself, but um, I think the third one and the first one are clearly um, my favourites. I think everyone has a memory of seeing The Exorcist for the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those uh those you know, places in time that I think everybody remembers. Yeah, absolutely. I think I remember I remember walking past when um video shops used to be around and um on the T V screen was the last scene of the steps. And I just remembered looking at it, and at the time I didn't know what film it was from, I had no idea, but it, but that image stayed with me. It could have been the music. And subsequently I knew it was The Exorcist because I think I went in the shop and asked them because the TV was facing outside. And um, it's just remarkable how just a few seconds from a film uh, when you're young can stay with you. Um, it was a very powerful image. So I remember that um, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Tony's actually been to those steps. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Did you uh, did you find yourself physically shaking with fear, or were you okay? I, I was mostly okay. May, I think that was mainly due to the fact that there was massive amounts of traffic behind me, and runners or like uh, stair climbers, like going up and down the stairs. So it kind of wow. kind of spoiled the mood. <laughs> wow. But uh, it was. Uh, God, yeah, I bet. Can you imagine living there? The amount of attention, the amount of attention the the residents there must have with so many fans and tourists from over the world going to that part. It must be quite either irritating or great. Do you know what I mean? It depends. Yeah, I actually had a, a bit of difficulty finding them. Um, they, I, I, I guess I was expecting more of a kind of a, a, a grandiose location or you know some kind of deal built up around it but it was really uh, nondescript and like i was trying to find it in the middle of the night which was my first mistake but um oh were you on your own 
I was I was with my wife. We were actually on our uh, honeymoon. She right. She, and did she find this evening romantic, or was she angry? <laughs> well, I took her out for you. I took her out for a, a cupcake right after. So I think she forgave me. <laughs> Good man. Good man. <laughs> um, but uh, no, like actually being there, where this you know iconic. Familiar, like everybody recognizes this scene. Just being there in that location, yeah, it was. It was, a, it was a, as, as a as a film buff, you know, it was pretty powerful in that in that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had. I hate to name drop, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, I had um, a message from Harper Collins in the public, the book publishers in New York, and they said, "Oh, um, William Friedkin um, mentioned you to review his book, The Memoir," and I thought. Wow. Well, it was a joke. I thought someone's on the wind-up here. And I said, well, if I tweeted back. I said, if Billy wants me to do it, I'll consider it. And they said, yeah, he did. And within two days, the book arrived, and I reviewed it. And he's, um, he calls himself my Twitter mate and fan. And recently, he loved my new website, and um, he thought my my video review of The Exorcist was um, really good, and he appreciated it. And I was So to have that sort of recognition is, is quite... When you don't expect it, it's something else. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and to have someone like him with the body of work he's done as a creative individual and to read to read his book, which is full of... It's like watching an action film. Like, you know, the, the book is so exciting and sad and moving. And I learned a lot from it. And um, to have someone like him um, championing what I do, you know, was incredible for me when it happened. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, That's the only name drop I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we've, we've been doing this here for, what, three years now? Um, or close yeah. to it. And um, we've, you know, had numerous, no, like, A-listers or anything, but numerous, you know, celebrities on the show. And uh, it's it's still kind of a thrill when, when we see our names mentioned by one of them on Twitter or whatever. It's, it's, it's nice. <laughs> It's nice, isn't it? It's, it's it's nice when people. I think what I find sad online is like if you're well known or you're very successful, it doesn't cost anything or no time at all just to say thank you or just to mention something. But there's a lot of people in the industry, and they're fearful or they're quite selfish to respond to fans or well wishers, because I think a lot of people in the industry. Um, I won't say a lot of them. I said some of them think that everyone wants something, and a lot of the time people don't. They just want to say hello or say how good they are. Or, you know, I find it really quite sad, and that's why I made a point for myself to give myself a bleeding edge is to interact with people, and it's important. And that's what you know. If you're online, you interact with people. Yes. And if you want to go on there and just talk about what you do, then you know it's not for you. Get off Twitter. And I've really, I've noticed it a lot where I've championed, um, say, someone well known's work, or I've done a shout out for them, and nothing. And and I've noticed a few people, um, they just, you know, they don't, they don't want to know what other people are doing they have no interest it's all about themselves and i think and that's what i'm trying to change i'm trying to i want people that are fans and in the industry to interact with me online on twitter or on my website and because i'm comfortable and confident with the work i do and it's not going to sort of um, smash into the faces of anyone else's work um and i think i'm trying to change that 
because I think you'll see certain people and they've got thousands and thousands of followers and it's all the tweets about them and very rarely you see them say something that champions someone else that's lesser known. Mm-hmm. I, would, I think it would be unfair to me to say everyone, but there is a lot out there that I've noticed within the horror industry. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that a lot of people, um, they immediately suspect that their fans, just because they want to interact with them, they want to express their appreciation for what they do, that a lot of people will just automatically assume that they're trying to hit them up for something, trying to get them to read their script or um, or watch their watch their film or, or something to that degree. And it's just it, it's it's sad that uh, a lot of celebrities have become so. Um, I guess maybe jaded. They're cut off. They're removed. They're removed. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And I think you know it's like I love um, I love it when I get people communicating with me from all backgrounds and and passions and on my my horror memories page on my website when you see people from all over the world talking about a moment that scared them. It's great viewing. And what's weird, and one of the reasons why I contacted you guys, is that 90% of my fans and followers and well-wishers are American. And I think that's really interesting because it means that maybe it's because of my accent, maybe it's because I'm from the UK, I don't know, but or maybe Americans are a little bit more open, a bit more confident um, than, than us Brits, you know, maybe Brits are a bit shy. I don't know, but it's weird. I was, I'm really surprised at the amount of Americans are that are responding to what I do, and it's 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 great. I mean, I, I mean, in, in New York is my second home. I love it, and um, I think um, I'm really proud to have that connection overseas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't really. You you you're actually our what our second international guest. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, and. Uh, so, I mean, we, we track our, you know, our listeners and, you know, where they're coming from. And there's been a handful from the UK. Well, unless you count Canada. Yeah, that's Canada. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. We've, we've interviewed we've a, a handful, handful of Canada, Canada. Or Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I guess from over the pond. Uh, yeah, it's, it's – we don't get a lot of overseas re- interaction, but it's, it's really nice uh, when we do oh, because yeah. it's, it's like, oh, my – my God, our our words and you know things we put online—it's actually reaching people over there. And it's, it's absolutely. No, I did my research. Yeah, no, I did my research. And to me, you know, it's great that you're a horror-themed podcast. And I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's very—it's great for me because I've, like so many of your listeners, I've never really fitted in with anything. I had multiple redundancies. You know, like all we all do, have problems with authority. And I was the uh, black demon of the family, and um, and my voice wasn't heard. And I, horror is where I have a voice and where I feel at home. And every day I love doing what I'm doing because I do this twenty four seven. And um, yeah, so it's great. And I, and I think the reason I mentioned that part of my background is I think uh, there's a lot of people. And they don't have time to create whether they want to write, whether they want to write a story or a song or do a film. You can make, you've got to make time to be creative no matter how hectic your life is. You can make time. And I think so many people are more uh, sort of um, coming to think along those lines, which is really exciting. Yes. And I think as, as podcasters and people that 
or, you know, we, we try to pride ourselves on um, being very uh, indie friendly and bringing in, you know, yes. like smaller fr- uh, filmmakers and uh, lesser known actors and things of that nature. Uh, we try to be, be a friend to um, people that are on their way up and, you know, kind of uh, pay it forward a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to give you an example, when the um, film director James Cullen Bressack, who did the film recently, Pernicious, and did Hate Crime, he, um, we've communicated with each other a few times, and what I like him, you know, he's of the same um, sort of thoughts as standard as me, where it doesn't take, you know, a one morning off to help someone out, you know, can mean a lot for them, and that's what he's about which I find really refreshing to hear from a director. Um, and he's a really, really nice, nice young lad. And um, he was kind enough to do a horror memory the other day, which was great. And um, so someone like him, I, I wanted to mention, who who is the very opposite than so many other um, well-known people within the profession. Yeah, that, that's very cool. And I, I recognize that name, and I feel like maybe we've had conversations on Twitter with him as well. Yeah, he did um, Hate Crime, Pernicious. Um, I really like Pernicious. I gave him a hard time with Hate Crime, but <laughs> he was just pleased as he saw the film, regardless of my opinion, which I thought was a very cool response. So if if someone goes to bleedingcritic.com, what, what's, yeah. what are they going to find and what separates your site from most sites? I think, um, let me think, some people refer to me as the Banksy of horror. They refer to me as the horror vigilante. And horror fans currently have their say on my horror memories page. And once they're on my page, they're there forever. And my website is the only 24-7 visual and interactive TV channel that I've always dreamed of. I'm almost there. And I think the fact that and not only you can access my audio stories and video content for free and immediate download. So I think the fact that I'm not just someone that can criticise a film, I know what I'm talking about and I know what's disturbing and scary and original. So that's where my audio stories come in um, that are um, created by me and produced by me and uh, narrated by me. So that's one example or several. And also the fact at this point in time, my website is probably the most beautifully designed interactive horror website in the world right now, without a doubt. I've done a lot of research, and the people that built my site did a lot of research. And the thing is, with my reviews, my video reviews, the um, you can finger slide on a red bar your own percent rating. So you can give your feedback on a review. Um, so it's the interaction element with the horror memories and with my soon-to-be um, short horror film, your short horror film page. It's going to be like a, a hub. Uh, and, and there's nothing like it because with my site, everything you see apart from the horror memories is me. I do content. And I've got no problem with other websites, well-known websites. that have so many people working on it, but I'm proud it's just been me. Um and also at this stage, you know, I've got no advertising on the site. I've got no sponsorship, but that might change in the future. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's an expense to go on my site. And my reviews, when I'm getting more and more people that are involved in the films that I review, like directors and actors, and they're instantly coming back to me, that means, you know, that, that, that I'm standing out. Like um, 
I did a film, Last Shift was the last review, and not only the director, but the leading actress, Juliana Harkavy, I believe her name is, um, she got in touch with me and said it was her favourite review so far, um, and thanks for the effort you put into it. So I think it's the effort I put into the content and um, the consistency as well. And it's basically I've created a brand, a horror brand, and it's about making horror scary again because I think so many people have been fed up with the fast food horror that they've been fed over the years and they want something original and different. And with me, it's no tongue-in-cheek. It's no sort of, you know, I don't do funny, although I've got a sense of humour. Um, it's about taking it seriously and, and about films that stay with you. I'm not interested in the um, the slasher... I'm not interested in films that go through your eye sockets and burst out the back of your skull. You know, I'm not interested in that. I want films to make me feel again, whether it be fear, sadness, tears streaming down my face. It's about feeling something. I get that adrenaline kicking in, where afterwards you're exhausted and you're sweating. You think, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was really, you know, that's what I'm about. You know, the disturbing films the ones that are slightly beneath the radar, be it Korean, be it Turkish, um, um, work, film work. Mm-hmm. What uh, what would you say, like, kind of uh, catches your eye about a film before you review it? I choose, I pick and choose what I see, of course. Um, I get a lot of invites to screenings, and I'm some of them, you know, you, sometimes you just, you've seen so many films, you can just tell, and I get very... Um, disheartened when I see trailers that give plots away because after some of these horror films that come out you see their trailer and it's like everything's given away yeah <laughs> you know there's no mystery anymore which I which I find really depressing I mean I remember the time when um, I remember I think it was I remember here's an old horror memory for you both and your listeners I remember seeing an alien film trailer and it was like a waffle and an egg and that's all it was and the noise and and sound and the screeching and it was absolutely terrifying it was less is more and i also remember seeing a white screen and at the corner of the screen it had a hair and that's all it was you're like hang on what's going on here and it was a it was a vidal sassoon advert do you know what i mean it was so (laughs) it was just so simple and clever and i miss i love those i love really clever trailers and i think trailers should be an art in themselves instead of the way it's like the same person makes the trailers it's like the same people or the group of people do the trailers every trailer you see it's like it's almost like they're they're fearful of the audience are gonna get bored within a few seconds no one's dared to take the time or do something different um what i look for is something that I'll give you an example of a film, that a trailer that I saw that grabbed me. Um, let's think. I remember the film Buried and the trailer for that. That got my attention. And also the trailer for Megan is Missing, I thought was quite interesting because it, it was about um, young people communicating online and the dangers and, and an absolutely stunning film and very, very upsetting. It was a film that mattered. So there's, there's a few examples of trailers. But sometimes I'll just... Um, it's more an instinct thing, I think, sometimes. 
Um, I do a lot of research about films. Um, I did a hell of a lot of research about a Serbian film. It came across on my radar and um, I was aware of it and um, then I saw it. Um, and I love the publicity surrounding that, a bit like the original Blair Witch Project. Um, the marketing for that was, you know, was it real? Um, was it fake? And um, I think that was one of the most fantastic marketing um, um, efforts for a film ever was the Blair Witch Project, using um, all media to to create this this um, story that is it real or isn't it real? Oh yes, it is. You see what I mean? I loved all that. Yeah. So that that got me and that really got me interested in that ride as long as long ago as it was. So it's weird because thinking about it now, there's so much can be done with advertising for a film. It's like they haven't really. I think they've only touched the surface with a basic trailer, but there's so much that people could do. But unfortunately, so many people that make these decisions, they're not creatives. That's why you get fed the same formula, and that goes for a lot of. Magazine reviews, movie magazine reviews. There's a formula. They want all the writers that contribute to their magazines to speak in the same voice. So yeah, that's another conversation, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, to kind of wrap things up here, we we talked about bleedingcritic.com. You want to go ahead and tell people where else they can find you? Are you? I, we know you're yeah. on Twitter, Facebook, all that. Yeah, it's mainly Facebook, Twitter, and the website is really the hub. Um, I invite any listeners, if you if you want to um, film yourself, be creative, um, film yourself for two minutes, talk about one or two moments from any film that really disturbed you, and then you have to send it to me via Dropbox or Google Drive and send it to my, my email address, which is leadingcriticatlive.com, and I'll have a look at it, and I'll add your Twitter handle to it, and I'll add it onto my site, and if you're in the industry... Hopefully, you'll get uh, more genuine followers to you and your work. And the same goes with people out there that have got their short films. If you've got a short horror film you want me to have a look at, absolutely send it along. It better be good. Um, and um, and I'll, um, I might add it to my new page when it's live. And um, I think that'll be very exciting. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Excellent. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think I probably want to take part in your uh, uh, horror memories. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, bleedingcritic.com, Bleeding Critic, thank you so much for coming on the show. We had a lot of fun talking to you, and uh, it was a very in-depth conversation. And uh, you're welcome back to the show anytime, and wish you best of luck with your website and, and all your uh, your upcoming uh, additions to it. Thank you very much, Taylor and Tony, for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you again, and uh, take care. You too. I got that great pride. I got that great pride. I got that great pride. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Cause I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small percent of the That was a fun interview. Yes, quite. He's a very serious man. <laughs> yeah, very, uh, very monotone. Very dry. I guess that's just the British. That's thing. a very British thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was a lot. Of, it was great having him on. Uh, a lot of really good insight on film. I think. Yeah, um, and his his reviews and his uh, his short stories are really good too. Yeah. So go check him out at bleedingcritic.com and uh, see everything that he's got available. And it's a very fan interactive site. So see what see what you can see. <laughs> 
go see some some stuff. <laughs> some, some stuff. It's all some it's all there to see. If you if you see it, then you you can you can look at it and see it, yeah. and then it, there it is. My sentence was fucked from the beginning. Yeah. You, anyway, fuck you. So, <laughs> all right. So we have two reviews for you. Let's go ahead and jump into the f- first one. <laughs> wow, what's going on with me? What do you want to do first, Taylor? Uh, let's start with knock knock. Chocolate with sprinkles. Everybody packed. Sorry to bother you, sir, but my phone got wet and she left hers at her house. Well, if you guys want, you can come in and use my phone. Guys, I have your clothes. They're pretty much dry. Surprise! I can't do this. I'm married. You like how it fits me, Daddy? What do you want? I want to play hide and seek. 30 seconds. You leave the house, I shoot. Help me! This is what happens when you break the rules of the game, Evan. Survive this game. None. So, Knock Knock is the story of Evan, an architect who has a loving family, a wife, and two children, son and a daughter. And on Father's Day, his family is going away to the beach, and he is staying home to do work. Right near the beach. Did they explain why he had to work specifically on Father's Day? Like, was it a due date or something? Yeah, he had some time crunch. Okay. Um, but yeah, so his family goes away. He's left at home by himself doing all kinds of work. Doing all, dad stuff. All kinds of architecting. <laughs> and uh, he gets a knock on his door. Two of them. The titular knock, knock. Uh, get it? That's what the movie's about. That's that's it. Knocking. It's just knocks for the rest of the movie. It's like the telltale knock. And him trying to decide whether or not he should open the door. <laughs> it's really boring. <laughs> no, he does answer the door, and there's these dripping wet... But he answers it! <laughs> that's the twist! <laughs> there's two dripping wet ladies, and uh, they ask to come inside because... Well, actually, they don't ever ask to come inside. They just say that they're they're looking for the Gregories, mm-hmm. and one girl forgot her phone. The other one, her phone is wet and destroyed, so it doesn't work. So wet. So wet. 
My phone is moist. <laughs> uh, but so he invites them in. Says, you know, uh, you can come in. You can use my phone. And then he calls him an Uber. But because of the rain, it's going to be 45 minutes. So they ask him if they can, you know, put their clothes in the dryer for a while. NBD. NBD. No big deal. (laughs) We just want to be naked. Uh, Then as the Uber arrives, he goes to get them and he hears them in the bathroom. And turns out they're in there butt naked. Just getting soapy. Lathering up. Boobs. And uh, then they're like, hey, we should fuck. Let us get that dick. And he's like, nah. (laughs) Nah, nah, nah. (laughs) And they're like, come on. And he's like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, come on. And he's like, okay. It's like trying to become a Jew. You have to ask three times. (laughs) That's not how that works. No, finally they just like get down and just put his dick in their mouth, whether he wants that wants it or not. They're just like, <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, well, you already started, and so then he bangs him in a, a, a pretty fucking hot scene. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Good for you, Eli. Good for you. <laughs> um. And then the next day, they just turn into the most disgusting people in the world. Yeah. One of them is eating eggs out of the dog's dish. The other one is eating peanut butter with her hands and, like, slapping herself in the face with a pancake. (laughs) Just getting cake slapped. (laughs) (laughs) And they basically refuse to leave. And... They start threatening Evan and telling him, you know, that he's a, a terrible person. He's destroyed his family. And he's a pedo. And he, yeah, Oh, yeah, that's right. They tell him that they're 15 when they're clearly not. No. And he believes it. And so that's why he won't call the cops. Because they're like, we'll just call Chris Hansen. <laughs> and he'll be like, would you like some iced tea? Like, why don't you have a seat? Why don't you have a seat? <laughs> Um, and I cannot get enough of that show. It's the same thing every time, and I fucking love it every time. Uh, yeah, so they basically just raise some hell. They tie him to a chair, and they play a game show. And, yeah. Well, he, he does finally get him to leave. That's true. He he, he, nuts he drives up and, them home. Yeah, he nuts up and calls the cops, and that's he basically called their bluff. Yeah, and so they said, "All right, well, can you give us a ride?" Yeah, and he takes them to this like upscale suburban neighborhood, drops them off at a house, and as soon as he leaves, they just walk away. Yeah, and end up showing up again. Yeah, and the whole thing starts over. You know, it's funny. This takes place in kind of some nondescript area in Southern California. They do a few flyovers of like different locations in the general area, except what looked like a vineyard. There are no vineyards that I know of in Central California. <laughs> They're all in Northern California, right? Yeah, like you know, you have to get up past like um, uh, 
Oh, I forget what that area is called. It's just past the grapevine. People down there know what I'm talking about. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's like the furthest south those vineyards go. But, yeah. Mm, I don't know. But he's like in some house up in the hills somewhere. Apparently this is all actually shot on location in Santiago, Chile. Interesting. According to the credits. Huh. Which is weird because those that suburban neighborhood looked like something you'd see in California. Yeah, it looked very California, California <laughs> suburbia. Anyway. Yeah, basically the movie is just this escalating of them torturing Evan both physically and mentally. Yeah. So I guess before we get into our reviews, we actually have a couple of fan reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, one via email and then uh, Bleeding Critic actually gave us permission to play his review. Mm-hmm. So should we go ahead and listen to that? Yeah, why not? I was intrigued that Keanu Reeves was starring in a film directed by Ellie Roth. I like the Hostel films. And I respect that Ellie Roth got the Gordorium off the ground in Las Vegas. Keanu Reeves used to get bad press about his acting years ago. And when he didn't say too much in Speed and The Matrix, we all forgave him. I immediately noticed the film score here in Knock Knock reminded me of another film soundtrack. And I've only just realised what that film is and its basic instinct Look, the music is fine. It's no big deal. It fits quite well. At the beginning of Knock Knock, it's all busy, busy family life. And I would have had it sort of more relaxed and less manic. That would have been preferable. But again, it's no big deal. This starts to be a sexy horror number. And I was curious how it was going to roll I thought about the beginning of the original The Human Centipede first sequence at one point when the actual knocking happens. First off, Keanu Reeves in real life is a great guy and everyone loves him, so when I talk about him now in Knock Knock, I'm referring to his performance. His acting in this film is genuinely bad. Film beginning to film middle, he's just okay, but when emotion is displayed, you don't believe him, and you can tell this by his eyes. But to be balanced, Keanu isn't the core problem. The problem with this production is that the plot is forgettable and unengaging, and even worse, there are moments when I thought I was watching a total comedy, and you know I don't do funny. The two girls are confident in front of the camera, which worked to a point, but as the film continued, I didn't believe them either. Their constant over-the-top acting was twisting the film into an adult pantomime. I didn't actually care what did or did not happen. It's a shame because this could have been a home invasion film to a high standard, and it's not. I'm especially annoyed at this particular film, and I'll explain why. It seems when someone like Ellie Roth, who is held in high regard by many, and 
without doubt has created and supported good people and good work. But the glaring evidence with a film like this one, Knock Knock, is that whatever Ellie comes up with, we're expected to love it because it's by Ellie Roth and he's a great guy. He can do no wrong. The problem is I think he's got too many yes people around him, which is a real shame. I hope Ellie doesn't sink this low creatively again. The trailer for Knock Knock gave so much away as expected, and the trailer's actually genuinely better than the whole film. Knock Knock is a wasted opportunity that's a waste of everyone's time. Heads should roll for this film being funded. It's not disturbing, clever or horrifying. And its ending just proves that Knock Knock was a joke. A joke on us for expecting a special horror experience that did not happen. I'd watch the original Funny Games if I were you. Your witness, writing talent, exceptional performances and a film experience that will genuinely frighten and disturb. Make sure you check out my spoiler-free review for Funny Games at bleedingcritic.com. So I couldn't quite tell if he liked it or not. I think he hated it. <laughs> I was obviously being facetious, oh, and you it. fucking ruined it. But you, didn't, you didn't even make a face that hinted it. You make like, how's that? Is that a good face? What about this face? Is this such a good face? <laughs> what the fuck is that? It's definitely not Josie and the Pussycats. Oh. Okay. Uh, that was a pretty scathing review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, he said it in such a such a calm way. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, either of us would be way more outraged, right? Giving like the same review. <laughs> so. Um, our, so our second fan review comes from former guest and friend of the show, Kevin Nesgoda, who says this. Oh, what? I thought it was an audio one. Oh, no, it's an it's a email. Uh, this Eli Roth film had a lot of the same charm of his debut with Cabin Fever, especially with the last shot. Knock Knock wasn't a straight horror film, though. I would have classified it as more of a thriller than anything else. The film was actually extremely well shot. The motion of the camera to go with the action and the angles were perfectly done. Roth and Antonio Garcia are developing quite the chemistry together. This is the, this is the second remake of the original entitled The Death Game, originally released in 1977. I did not know that. Me neither. The story is so-so, and Roth did well in an, in an update of the material and not totally betraying... Oh, I think it's supposed to say in updating the material and not totally betraying the source. Where it did fall flat was the delivery... Keanu Reeves was Keanu Reeves, and he could have easily been replaced with a cardboard cutout of himself through most of the film. <laughs> he showed some flashes of life here and there, but he was flat, and his forced emotion was unbelievable throughout. Roth had to be pulling his hair out the entire time. Lorenza Izzo played a pretty good psycho in the film, who led around the gorgeous and even more believable psychotic Anna de Armas. Were there any jumps? No. Was the plot predictable? Yes. Was the story a bit unbelievable and easily solved with a phone call early on? Oh, yeah. Should you watch it at least once? Sure, if you're bored one night and have some time to kill. And then he gives it a 4 out of 10. All right. Uh, by the way, Bleeding Critic on his website gave 
the movie, I believe it's a 20%, so we'll say that's a two. Okay. <laughs> Uh, for our purposes. Um, so I guess for the fan section, that would be an average of three. What? For the fan reviews, that would be an average of three. If he gave it a two, Kevin gave it a four. Oh, yes. Um, this movie was not good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's the long and short of it. Both the complaints about Keanu Reeves are... Absolutely 100% spot on. Yeah. And everything he did in this movie felt forced. Yeah. Every single bit of dialogue, every movement felt forced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was so blatant. It was almost like he was doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, You know, Bleeding Critic, he made a good point that it's like, you know, we we saw Keanu Reeves in um, Bill and Ted. And he was... Ted, you know, Ted was not supposed to be like this Shakespearean level actor, you know? No, he was a a goofy stoner surfer dude. Yeah. And he played that to a T. He didn't have to be a good actor because that was the character. Yeah. Being over the top was part of it. Yeah. Um, And he, like I said, Billy Kirk made a really good point that, you know, then he did Point Break and Point Break was awful. He was a surfer. But he that's where he had to actually demonstrate some acting chops, and he couldn't. Did you say Point Break was awful? His acting is awful. Oh, okay. Um, and we we're going to have to throw hands for a second there. <laughs> By the way, Point Break remake, going up, against, going up against Star Wars. Good luck with that. That was strategic <laughs> because they know that movie's going to take <laughs> Um, I was waiting for you to be like, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, then he, like you said, he did movies like Speed and uh, the Matrix movies and um, what else? I'm totally spacing. Seemed like he was really hot there for a minute. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Um, oh, Johnny Mnemonic. And um, oh, what's that movie? Fuck! Doesn't matter. Move on. It does. I need to know. Uh, oh, god damn it! What was that? Fuck it. Um, Devil's Advocate. Sure. That might be a bad example for this. I don't know. What, what. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, but. still. That was so bad. Uh, when. When he's not speaking, you. Yeah, like. Again, like being bleeding critic said, you forget that he's a bad actor. Yeah. Because he can. You know, visually demonstrate some emotions, I guess, but actually oralizing them and, you know, making you believe them, that was not his forte. Yeah. And so after a while, you forget that he can't act. True. Um, but then you just like, you know, people like John Wick because it was a badass movie. Like the fight scenes were cool. 
Um, the action was awesome. His, his acting was shit. Um, and then again with this, like he actually actually has to demonstrate some some ability to emote, and he couldn't do it. I remember like when he was first cast, we talked about it on the show, and we were like, "Really? Yeah." And it turns out we were right. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know when we first heard of this, we thought it was a dumb idea, if I remember right. I think we called it uh, like we compared it to Funny Games, like we and Critic did. Yeah. Um. I was surprised by uh, Lorenza Izzo because she was so bad. And My thing great. with Lorenza Izzo, I think she's not a bad actress. I just think that Roth keeps putting her in roles that are too big for her. That's fair. Just like the the acting is is bigger than she. She's she's not a great actress, but, mm-hmm. but she's not a terrible actress. But he, she keeps getting put in these roles where she has to do a lot. And I don't think she's there, at least yet. I guess that's fair. Um, what I was going to say is that she was so bad in Green Inferno. Like, abysmally bad. Um, in this, she was better. Like, I, for the most part, I believed her more. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Anna de Armas... She was pretty good. She was pretty fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I guess Eli Roth seems to be turning into, um, you know, the kind of guys that, the kind of directors that cast the same people over and over. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Christopher, like, think of like Christopher Guest. He got the same people in every movie. Yeah. But they're like a crew, you know. They they roll together, <laughs> right? Because um, you also had um, the I don't remember the, the character's name from Green Inferno, the guy that played Lewis in this. Yeah, um, he was also in, in Green Inferno, right? So, and then uh, Keanu Reeves' wife, um, she was the the bitchy blonde. Um, I think she's Argentinian. In Green Inferno? In real life. But yeah, she was in Green Inferno. Oh. The one got an arrow through the head. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was yeah. Keanu Reeves' wife. So, I mean, a lot of these repeat actors. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that's fine. But, you know, two in the same year, it's like, you know, need to see the same people acting together. Right. But, um. Story-wise, what do you think? Uh, I will say this movie made me uncomfortable. Mostly with uh, Belle, Anna de Armas, and her whole, like, daddy thing. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that was the point. Mm-hmm. It came came across very well. The The story is, you know, I, I again, I didn't know it was a remake. Neither did I. I mean... Have to investigate that. I'm gonna yeah. fact check you, Kevin. Uh, but the, the story is basic, and it's it's old. It's you know something we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that I think Funny Games is, is a superior movie in the same vein. Uh, 
But this movie is... I will say it, it makes you uncomfortable, but yeah, Keanu Reeves keeps taking you out of it because he, he's just so overacting and it's just, but it doesn't feel like overacting. It just feels forced. It feels like bad acting. It's, it's like a, like a kid in his first school play or something Mm -hmm. just thinking he has to be bigger. Yeah. And this acting that he's doing would work well in like a stage show. Because sure. you, you do have to be big on stage, but in a film you need to let it flow, man. You got to be a little more natural because this is real life. It's not a stage show, or you know, it's supposed to be real life, right? Um, the uh, yeah, the, I mean, y- you know, and I think I've mentioned it before on the show before that uh, I'm not big on home invasion movies. They don't tend to do much for me. Yeah. Um, and this was really no different. Uh, I feel like this is different than a lot of home invasion movies, though, because it's it's not like somebody's you know, sneaking into your house or something. It's like right. they played Koi and got him to invite them in. Yeah. Um, but like you said, this movie made me feel very uncomfortable, especially as a married man. Is a remake of 1977's Death Game. Huh. All right. Unless Kevin just put that on Wikipedia just now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it made me very uncomfortable, especially as a married man. Yeah. Um, because it's like that kind of situation. It's it's just baffling. I mean, like, what do you what do you? Obviously, you know what you do. You say, no, thank you. Please leave. Right. <laughs> or, you know, his fatal flaw was letting him in the fucking house. Yeah, Dip obviously. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, these, you know, what appear to be 20-something girls. Yeah, come on in. No big deal. My wife's not home, but she won't mind. Right. Even if you take out all of the torture and, you know, mental anguish, just letting attractive 20-year-old girls into your home when your wife's not home, that right there is a bad idea. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah, I was sitting there watching this with my wife, and I actually told her, it's like, this movie is, like, making me feel creepy. (laughs) But, again, I think that was the point. So, in in that sense, it accomplished something. Yeah, I guess. Um, But after... The initial contact when he invites him into the house, um, they slowly come on to him, and then they have this fucking three-way. Um, he, you know, and then they then they leave and they come back. Uh, up to that point, it, uh, yeah, like I said, it, it worked in the way that it made me feel. It made me feel dirty, I guess. Um, and just when he woke up the next morning, it's like my, my mind was doing the work for him. It's like, oh my God, what the fuck have I done? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's always the morning after. Sure. Um, and he even spooned with the girls all night. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, that's when it really fucking fell apart. There was just nothing 
to enjoy about the second half of this movie. And the big issue was, is that like green inferno, nothing fucking happened. Yeah. In like three quarters of the movie, I'd say about or close about or close to half of the movie is them coming on to him. And then finally, my, one of my big complaints is that I felt there was a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense to me. Like just things, just storylines that didn't necessarily have any impact. Like the fact that it was father's day, it doesn't really, didn't really make, I mean, I, I guess it's supposed to add to like, how could you do something like this on father's day? Mm-hmm. But just like that. And then the, the way that they were acting the next morning, like I said, you know, with the one girl was eating breakfast out of the dog's bowl. And it was like, what the fuck is the point of this? Why are they like this? Yeah. So that didn't make much sense. And the, the thing with the headphones, they didn't, like that's that that was dumb in my opinion. Yeah, that whole scene just they were torturing him by making him listen to loud noises. Yeah, and he's like, I'm gonna go deaf. Yeah, he kept screaming that like it was like like we had to understand. Yeah, and like yeah, if he that, didn't tell us what was going to happen. We didn't know why he was upset. Yeah, that was when he was really fucking hamming it up. Yeah, uh, that was that was probably the worst in the entire movie. The worst was when he was like, <laughs> "You sucked my cock." Yeah, you sucked my cock. <laughs> uh, yeah, just apparently emotions is just not Keanu Reeves' <laughs> thing. Maybe he doesn't have emotions. I don't know. Maybe he's a robot. Maybe. But again, like Bleeding Critic said, in real life, Keanu Reeves is a pretty good guy. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a clip that floats around on the internet, seems like every couple of years, is him sitting on a subway. And offering some lady his seat. Like this fucking Hollywood star riding the subway. Star riding the subway. Excuse me, man. Would you like to sit down? Uh, My friend sees... uh, Oh, shit. What's his name? Guy that used to do Weekend Update. There's a lot of them. Uh, Fuck. I don't know, man. When? Uh... He did it for a short time. Um, Colin Quinn? Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get that first try? I was just starting like the early 90s and working my way down. (laughs) Yeah, my friend Jason used to see Colin Quinn on the subway every day. (laughs) All right. Um, Anyway, so it's like, I don't want to hate Keanu Reeves that much, but he was so bad in this. This was not good. Um. Yeah. I don't know. And the end... Was bad. Was bad. It was so disappointing. It, yeah. It's like the one thing... I was just going to say, like, it, it left me just empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, like the last chance they had to show us this movie had some fucking balls and just let us down. Yeah. It's just a cop out. Oh, the shoulder surgery too was another thing that just it was another plot point that just didn't seem to 
Yeah. And I remember thinking that, like, right when they first showed it in the beginning of the movie, like, he's rolling around the bed with his wife and she tweaks his shoulder and he winces. And Well, yeah, they made a strong emphasis of pointing it out, which made me think this is going to come into play at some point. Nope. Yeah. I mean, there's a point where it he receives an injury that uh, seems to be compounded by the fact that he's... Yeah, but that would have hurt regardless. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you may have said something along these lines earlier, uh, but there's just all these threads in, the, in this movie that just suddenly end. Like, you think that all the threads are going to start at the beginning and they're all going to come together in a knot at the end, but there's just all these ones hanging. There's loose ends, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, I don't want to keep reiterating uh, Bleeding Critic, but he actually made a lot of points that I <laughs> intended to make. Um, you know, Eli Roth, he made Cabin Fever and he made Hostel. And people fucking loved those movies. Um, and ever since, just Eli Roth, he can't he can't do it. I mean, has he put out anything that's been good since then? Mm. I mean, you know, like Hemlock Grove, that's kind of an acquired taste, but people like it in general, I think. <clears throat> Um, but he doesn't direct that. He produces it. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm talking like things that he's per, like, actually directed and or written. Not that I can think of. Yeah. And, I mean, just this year, we've got this movie and we've got Green Inferno, both of which were fucking awful. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And like, I, I can't. Exclude myself from this, but I feel like people keep seeing his movies because they think that they are going. They hear the name Eli Roth and they think they're going to enjoy it because they have that memory mm -hmm. of Cabin Fever and Hostel in their heads. And he just hasn't produced something that <clears throat> has reached that level. I agree. Um, and he—he's worth, you know. Um, Kevin said that he and um, well, I forget the guy's name, but the, they, I think it was Kevin, said that he and his writing partner seemed to be working well oh, together. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> um, he seems to be running with this group of South Americans, uh, you know, whatever country they may be from uh well yeah because like guillermo almoedo was also involved in this yeah and he you know he did the stranger which eli roth produced right which was also not great no it's not <laughs> so i th i feel like he needs to go back out on his own and stop working with these people yeah i think he was doing much better when it was just him and you know, he seems to like have to be, you know, making his movies in other countries for whatever reason. Maybe he can't get funding in the U.S. I don't know, but something's not working for him, and he's got to 
reflect and I think he needs to just go back to blood and guts and stop trying to do these, you know, intricate thought provoking stories. Mm -hmm. It's, it's clearly not his forte. You, you quit trying to be, you know, George Romero and having subplots in all your movies and just go back to blood and guts. Yeah. Fucking gross us out, man. That's what you're good at. Yeah. Like cabin fever, as much of a fucking gore hound as I am, I just, it still makes me sick, like to watch some of those scenes. Yeah. So, yeah, and something needs to change. Otherwise, Eli Roth is just gonna go down the drain. I mean, anyway. So, uh, anything else to say about this? Uh, um, pros: it's sexy. Um, there are four boobs in it. Four and, whole boobs. And some booty. Uh, and it it does make you feel uncomfortable, so it makes you feel something. So I guess that's it. Uh, that's an accomplishment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, cons, overacting from Keanu Reeves. Uh, overacting from pretty much everyone in the movie. Um, the The... The guy who played Lewis, when he's like, bitch, I'm from Oakland. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's <laughs> um, like, you don't think I recognize a ghetto hoe when I see one? <laughs> that cracked me up. Um, but yeah, overall, this movie is not great, but it's it accomplishes something. Like I said, it makes you feel, which is is better than boring, I guess. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Uh, I'll applaud this movie. Like you said, for giving me some kind of sensation of emotion, uh, just by making me feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't know. I think maybe it's cause I have such a guilty conscience. Yeah. That, I mean, that could definitely, this, this could definitely impact that. Yeah. Um, so just the, Putting myself in his place has just made me feel like substituting myself for him made me feel like a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll applaud this movie for for doing that. Everything else was bad. The the the, the plot was bad. The execution was bad. The, I mean, the, the the plot progression was especially bad. Um, like I said, it, it took better than half the movie for something to actually occur. Um, and I, I think Eli Roth maybe doesn't know how to pace a movie anymore or something. Um, but yeah, bad acting on most fronts. Um, it seemed like, uh, Anna Dermas, she seemed okay for the most part. Uh, Lorenzo Izzo, like I said, a much, much of an improvement over Green Inferno, I thought, except for certain parts where she was a little overact, like overacting. Keanu Reeves was a huge disappointment. I would have thought that even if he's not a great actor, uh, you know, the arguably or unarguably the most seasoned actor of the cast couldn't carry the movie. Yeah. Um, and just uh, all fronts, it was just a, a, a poorly executed movie. So, 
all the all those things considered, uh, I'll give it an extra point because of because of boobs. Um, <laughs> because boobs. Yeah. Uh, but I'll give it a three. All right. Uh, so moving on, our second movie is, uh, dare I say, meta horror comedy. Uh, the Final Girls. Camp Bloodbath is the granddaddy of all campsite slasher films. Max's mom plays Nancy, this shy girl next door. Nice legs. What time they open? It's cool you get to remember your mom this way. At least I get to see her on the anniversary of her death, even if she is being chased by a psycho. Somebody's coming. Hey, do you guys know the way to Camp Bluefin? Tina. So we're in the movie. Oh, hi. What's your name? Max. Best summer ever! Anyone want to help me pick some strawberries? Nope, but I'll give you a hand with those melons. Talking about her boobs. Writing is so bad. What is that noise? It's Billy. He's coming. Everyone who has sex in this movie dies. It's awesome. No sex. Wait, wait, wait. Selfie time. Two. How do we get out of here? Movies like this end when the final girl kills the bad guy and the credits roll. That's Paula. That's the final girl. We just have to stay with her till the end of the movie. Oops. I want to know where they keep the hardware. I want chainsaws and big-ass knives, and I want them now. Um, guys, what's happening? Why am I colorblind? Am I having a stroke? We're in a flashback. I wonder if all this blood is just corn syrup, you know? Like, these characters are walking around with just corn syrup in their veins. Oh, no. Oh, God, that's blood. I know in the movie you're supposed to die, but that doesn't mean you have to, right? What do we do now? We fight. You know, I was watching this, and as much as I fucking hate it, the word meta came into my head, <laughs> and I hated myself for it, but yeah. Um, Final Girls. Max is the daughter, uh, played by uh, Tasa Farm- Farmiga. Um, How do you pronounce her first name? I say Tasia. Um, she's the daughter of uh, Amanda Cartwright, who is an actress, uh, played by... Uh, Malin Ackerman. She is best known as the actress from um, Summer Bloodbath, which is like it, it is Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, it's like a direct ripoff. Like the, the 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 writers of this movie 
made no effort <laughs> or very little effort. They even used Kiki Mama Ma. Yeah. It was slightly different. It was it's, it present it gave the same effect, but it, it wasn't exactly that. It was almost identical. Well, though. in in the marketing, they said that it spelled out Kiki Mama Ma. Really? Yeah. Oh well. All right. Uh, I don't know if this exists in a world where in a world uh, where Friday the Thirteenth doesn't exist. Maybe that's the case. Someone didn't mute their phone. I did. I kept fucking with the switch. Um, but yeah, this was like a, a extreme ripoff. It's a summer blood bloodbath is anyway. Um, can't bloodbath. Sorry, can't bloodbath. You're right. So she gets invited to a um, uh, a double feature of Camp Bloodbath and Camp Bloodbath Two um, by Devin. No, I got it. Duncan. Duncan, played by Thomas Middleditch. Yeah, from Silicon Valley. It's this character was so contrary to the one he plays in Silicon Valley. That really? You didn't think so? I, th- I mean, I, there's obvious differences, but I think there's also a lot of similarities. Well, in that he's kind of a anti, well, not antisocial, but um, kind of a pariah a little bit. Like he's, he's like super nerdy, and he's he's a dork. Yeah, but he's not the same kind of dork. He's he's much more. Well, yeah, that's true. much more outspoken. Uh, is where he's a pop culture geek instead of a tech nerd, right? Like, he, he's kind of a nervous guy on Silicon Valley, and he wasn't that in this. Okay, yeah. Um, but uh, he's invited, or she is invited to the double feature because he runs the, the theater. Uh, uh, it also happens to be on the anniversary of her mother dying three years ago uh, in a car accident. Um, and a series of events... Happen. I like how Duncan has a group of people who are like obsessed with these movies called bathmaticians. <laughs> um, so a series of events occurs and this fire ignites in the theater. And they figure that this, the quickest exit from the theater is to slash through the screen with a machete that happens to be in the theater. Yeah, what the... I think maybe because the killer's weapon is machete. Again, this is basically a, a direct Friday Thirteenth ripoff. The killer's mach- weapon of choice is machete, so I think maybe somebody brought it to the theater as just a, a prop or whatever. Oh, okay. But it's a real um, fucking machete. Quick, quick, quick question: Did you feel like this movie was supposed to look like it was shot in three D? I didn't really get that impression. Really? I got that several times. I liked a lot of the camera work, but I'll get into that later. Um, yeah, they, they hack through the, the theater screen, and for some reason... Technology! Worry, it transports them to 1983? Did they say? I'm almost positive they did. Oh. Transports them to Camp Bluefish Finch, which is the camp in Camp Bloodbath. So they have somehow crossed realms into the film that they have been watching. Um, 
And so pretty much the rest of the movie is about them trying to figure out how to get out of this because they actually spend a couple hours sitting trying to figure out how to get away. And every 92 minutes, so the length of a movie, their world resets. (laughs) Keep that in mind because I want to talk about that later. Okay. Um, So they, they finally interact with the counselors in the movie, one of which is Max's mom. But she's not Max's mom. She is Nancy, the character in the film. Which, you think that was a homage? Oh, it had to be. Yeah. Um, and then you had Tina. I'm Tina. I'm Tina. <laughs> <laughs> I have the locker keys. <laughs> Which, again, Tina, that's got to be an homage, right? Could be. And then... What, what was uh, Adam Devine's character? Adam Devine. Uh, Kurt. So, whatever. He's insatiable. <laughs> He's fucking hilarious. He's such a dick, but it's like funny as shit. <laughs> um, but along with them, they've got uh, uh, Max's friend Chris... Uh, it's kind of the love interest. Um, and his creepy flesh-colored beard. <laughs> That's why blonde guys shouldn't grow beards. I know. It's so creepy. Um, also, kind of- he was in Final Girl. So he's in Final Girl and That's the Final Girl. That's why I recognize him. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, then you've got... Uh, Maybe. Vicky, played by Nina Dobrev, who's oh. just... She's a peach. <laughs> she's uh, a national treasure. <laughs> uh, and then you've got Maybe. Yeah, you got maybe Funke playing Gertie. <laughs> Awful name. That's unfortunate. I have a great aunt named Gertie. <laughs> Everyone has a great aunt named Gertie. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, the movie plays out. They are trying to figure out how they need to get out of this movie, and they figure that in order to end it, they have to kill the killer. And the only way to do that is to follow these movie tropes. So... Uh, uh, hilarity ensues. So, what did you think? Okay. They're, they're very concerned about dying, obviously. Sure. But every 92 minutes, seemingly everyone just comes back. Right. Um, that's a bit of a loop, but, you know, you have to think... When it's, it's almost like thinking about time travel and the butterfly effect. Oh God! Are you scared? <laughs> yes. It's too big. I have I've heard this referred to as the Back to the Future of horror too. I could see that to to an extent. Except she's not trying to fuck her mom, <laughs> right? Or vice versa. Um, have you watched the new Mulaney special yet? No. Uh, he does a whole bit about the the pitch beating for Back to the Future. <laughs> You're like, oh, so this guy, he goes back in time and he, what, does he try to stop the JFK assassination? No, that would be good. <laughs> no, we were just thinking, like, maybe he tries to fuck his mom. We thought that'd be funny. He doesn't. <laughs> um, anyway, so as soon as they get involved, that's when the movie seemingly doesn't reset. Although the movie, I mean, I didn't time it, but 
have to estimate it's probably around. It's 91 minutes and 18 seconds. Okay. So really, regardless of the fact that the events changed, they um, changed um, the, 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 the overall time stayed about the same. So, yeah, I mean, they may have changed the ultimate ending. Okay, I see what you're saying. But I guess what I'm saying is that if they didn't get involved, they would have all died. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I I liked the part when um, they... Are trying. They're trying to find what car keys in, in the woods, mm-hmm. um, and they realize that a scene from the movie is going on behind them. Uh, it's like the first sex scene, and horror tropes being what they are, they know that that means that the killer's going to come, uh, and they're hiding behind this log and they're just letting it happen, and then the the killer spots them. It's not like they're invisible to him. But he stops and Duncan says, we're not in the movie. We're not from the movie. So he doesn't know what to do with us. Yeah. Because he just he stands there and doesn't do anything. Uh, and that, yeah, he finds out he's wrong. <laughs> Try not to give away too much. But yeah. Uh, so that, I, th- I thought that was an interesting and, and funny element that at first you think, oh, well, this is going to be fucking boring. If they're not going to actually be directly involved in the killing, then what the hell is the point of the movie? But that very quickly changes. Right. Um, so what do you, what, what else do you think? Um, the whole like mother daughter relationship was a little like, okay. It, it, it seemed a little much for my liking. With all the other, I, I feel like there was enough, other things going on that they didn't really need that storyline to be that prominent. I feel like that could have been more of like a B story. Well, see, the thing about that is though, I, I think that if they didn't play it up as they, as much as they would, or as much as they had, um, it wouldn't have made sense at all. It's like, why even put it in? I suppose. That, that, that was my opinion on that. It's like, yeah, I, I felt like it kind of started to envelop the story, but like if you focus on it less then it's going to be like why was that an element to begin with and so it's, it's kind of a rock and hard hard place I guess I see what you're saying yeah it's like you couldn't really go either direction without making making it obvious yeah so um I did I, I really like the cast I think everyone was was really funny um yeah the uh, the blonde guy, um, whose name I can't remember now. I'll get it. Uh, something Ludwig, Alexander Ludwig. Yep. Um, he was surprisingly funny. I did not expect him to be funny. Yeah. Just because you know, in Final Girl, he's a very serious character. He's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, although he looked like he was crying almost all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's just one of those guys that just had, like has watery eyes. Yeah, like, I, it was weird. He just always looked like he was crying. Um, 
But yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I, I was a little disappointed there were no boobs. Yeah. I, a summer camp movie, you think they're going to be boobs. Exactly. So it's like that's the one trope they missed. Was this? Did you catch the rating on this? I believe it was PG thirteen. Bah, balls. Um, and that's another thing. There, there's no blood and guts. The the kills Not are really, very no. minor. Yeah, it's people you know like getting stabbed, getting shivved in the joint, getting, <laughs> getting stabbed in the belly, and then they're like you know there's they just have a bloody t shirt. Yeah, it's not like profuse bleeding like you know what would really happen except for the character that gets thrown from the car right <laughs> that was good that was funny too yeah it was <laughs> um but yeah pretty much no one was safe in this movie and i love that mm-hmm. um and i mean like i you know i won't tell you who dies and who lives there's there's a fight scene though which i thought was a little oddly placed at it's, the end yeah because slash movies don't normally have fight scenes where it's like one on one mono mono against the slasher. Right. The, the slasher usually dies from someone you know sneaking up behind him and stabbing him with his machete or you know dragging him to the bottom of the lake or something like that. There's not like a fist of cuffs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't so much a fist fight. Well, no, but I mean, it was like a one on one battle. Yeah, and it was it got, got kind of martial art. George. Right, yeah, I think that's more more my point. Is um, that it was more actiony? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, won't dive too much into the ending because we don't want to give anything away. But like, yeah, that final fight, um, you know, the killer and the, the character, they, I guess, one of, one of the big plots in the movie is like trying to find out who's going to be the final girl. Mm-hmm. They all come to that realization that have, the final girl has to kill the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Billy Billy Murphy. Murphy. Yeah. Um, and so when they finally decide who the final girl is, she goes to engage him. And she's been injured. And this is when I think they took the whole final girl thing a little too far because she had a pretty bad injury and suddenly when when she beca- like became the final girl it was almost like she was like yeah so it was like yeah it was like, like super, extra life yeah super mario getting a mushroom <laughs> um and uh suddenly she just like springs to her feet and you know picks up a weapon and just turns into this badass all of a sudden and it's like that's kind of an extreme uh, take on what her final girl really is. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, I talked about the, the camera work. I thought it was really good. It wasn't like the, the certain elements of it that I liked, uh, weren't as prominent as like, as the beginning of the movie led me to believe, but there's a, uh, when, uh, Max and her mom are driving in the car, I loved how it was like an aerial shot, but and the camera paced like, the car. Yeah, it was like as soon as the car got into frame, it paced. That was really cool. Yeah, and then when uh, when they get into a, an accident, the car rolls. The camera rolls with the car, mm-hmm. so the car is staying stationary, but the background is the one that is the thing that's 
flipping. Yeah. I love that. There was, was some very cool cinematography in this. Yeah. It was such a minor thing, but it looked really cool. I don't, I don't know what it was. But there was just parts where it made me feel like I know it wasn't in 3D, mm-hmm. but it made me feel like it was supposed to look like it was filmed in 3D. That's possible. I don't even know if that's, this had a 3D release. I don't believe so. But I, I think the point was not to make it look 3D, but to make it look like it's supposed to look 3D. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so many 80s slasher movies did come out in 3D. Yeah. So I thought that was just kind of a, a nod to it. I, it may not have been. I may, I may have been imagining things. But like especially the part with the bottle where it was rolling around on the ground. Yeah. That part looked like it would have been a, th- a 3D moment. Right. That was another one of those examples where the camera, like, followed the bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost, it almost like the camera was affixed to it because it wasn't just pacing it in the in in the in the way that you'd think. Like it was a stationary camera, and it was like following it. It was actually moving with it. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, when they go into the into the film, and you know, into this imaginary world. I kind of would have liked to see it like be like grainy, like old. Yeah, I, I had that same thought. Um, I feel like that would have added to the, the the actual feeling that they were in this '80s horror movie, right? Because you had, you know, like when whenever words would pop up on the screen, the words were physically there. Yeah, they had to like step over them at one right. point. So yeah, it would have been an interesting thing to actually have it be like grainy and maybe have like cigarette burns pop up in the corner every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, and have them, have them comment yeah, on it. Yeah, like, what the hell was that? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, when they do a flashback, yeah. how, the, how the world kind of melts around them, cool. and then they're transported into this flashback. One thing I wish, I wish the way that they had gone into the movie was a little more thought out. It feels like it was just, like, there's a fire, and then they walk through the screen, and that puts them in there. Yeah, that didn't make that's, sense. That's not science. It's yeah. <laughs> not how things work. <laughs> I've tried that. It doesn't work. Um I thought this movie would remind me more of Last Action Hero, but it really didn't. I hadn't made that comparison, but yeah, I guess. Well, you think kids going into a, a movie. Right, yeah. So. Um, but, Otto Braunschweiger. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, like you said, great cast. Mm-hmm. Everybody just hit it. Like there wasn't a, a, a bad person in the cast, I don't think. I agree. Um, it was funny as hell. I was yeah, like, it was, it was very funny. I was, I watched almost the entire thing by myself, you know, before my wife got home and I was laughing out loud to myself. Um, like, you know, fucking belly laughs. <laughs> um, so it was really good. I, I had a lot of fun watching it and, uh, I'll say that the, it kind of sets itself up for a sequel. I don't know if that was just intended as you know, something from a movie or if they actually legitimately plan to have a sequel. I kind of doubt it. The way that it ended, I feel like if they did a sequel, it would just be basically the same movie. That's a good point. Um, which would be disappointing because, you know, be unnecessary. Yeah. Regardless of how much you enjoy a movie, you don't want to see the same thing over again. Yeah. Cause then you're just paying for the same thing twice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anything else to add? Uh, no, I think we covered it. All right. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I really enjoyed this, uh, and I would I would highly recommend that you guys see this, especially if you enjoy slasher movies, um, if you enjoy like kind of like time travel movies to an extent. Um, 
Do you enjoy meta? <sighs> Fuck you. Um, and if just horror comedies in general, this one was more of a comedy, certainly, but there were definitely some very strong horror elements in it, um, which made it a really good mix. So, um, all in all, I think I'll actually give this one a nine. Holy crap. Yeah. That's, I know that's surprising to me. Um, uh, my, one, one other concern that I have, I feel like some of the homages were a little, little too forced, heavy handed. Yeah. Um, but again, very beautifully shot. Great cast. Very funny. I do wish it had more blood and guts also. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. All right. So one thing left to do. Yes. Uh, plot holes, of course. So I need a noun. Uh, puff, puffy pink love pocket. Verb. Yank. Noun. Purple headed meat silo. Three verbs. Spread. Squat. Slap and pickle. <laughs> I'm thinking that'll work. We're going to see. Adjective. Uh, lubed up. Verb. Thrust. Verb ending in ing. Whacking. All right. So now we're going to find out what Tony has done to critters. <laughs> okay. These words mixed with critters, and I'm just, I'm cringing already. <laughs> Critters is the story of a family menace, menaced by eight puffy pink love pocket-sized creatures from <laughs> outer space who yank at their Kansas farm in search of a purple-headed meat silo. Helen Brown and Brad, owners of the farm, find themselves held hostage as the creatures spread, squat, and slap and pickle around during the night. Damn it. I was they, hoping it was going to work. You could do, like, pickle slap. That would work better. Uh, they are pursued by a pair of lubed-up intergalactic bounty hunters, Charlie and Johnny, who can thrust at will and are packing weapons capable of whacking any creature they encounter. It was all right. Yeah, it was all right. They've been better. Indeed. And worse. So, um, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 50. Hey! Episode L. Should we tell them what we're doing? No. We're doing hashtag horror and Victor Frankenstein. Not in movies, but... I know. That's what we're doing. Yes, that's what we are doing. Um, We're going to have a special guest, Mm -hmm. if he's down with it. We're not sure yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We haven't really talked to him about it. I did briefly. Oh, did you? Yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, So we may have him, we may not. We'll see. Um, But yeah, back in a couple weeks. uh, Be sure to check out bleedingcritic.com. Um, and thank you to Kevin Nesgoda for his review. If you would like to send in your own review, uh, you can email it like Kevin did to contact at graveplotpodcast.com or you can send us a voicemail at 858-848-PLOT. Yes. Um, so, catch you again in a couple weeks. Until then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all just a little dead inside.